I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, ready for this next interview to sort of get on the spiritual couch a little bit and get assessed spiritually, bionic. Hmm. Some interesting pauses in that middle name this week. I know. It's a new week at Future Quake, and that means we have a new guest this week. Uh, we are pleased to have for the first time uh, Mr. Mark Breton, who is the founder of the Relational Discipleship and Worldview Studies Institute, and also as a journalist for the Nashville scene. And we're going to be talking this week about Evangelical Christianity on the Couch, a Spiritual and Mental Health Assessment. Hmm. Uh, interesting. It's not one of those, like, feel-good, self-help kind of things. Yeah, we're That's not, not, we're not talking about. best life now, Freudian. Right. You know, everybody's a cigar. Right. Whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. No, uh, he's he's one of us. He is uh, uh, a guy who thinks much like our Futurians, uh, mm-hmm. communicates our language, and is real. And yeah, I think and he's going like, to really be blessed to have somebody like him not using platitudes. Well, we must we must be spending too much time together because that's what I was going to say. Really? Yeah. What do you say, platitudes? I was going to use the word platitudes. That's amazing. Yeah, we got synchronicity there. He's a real guy. He's yes. a real guy, and he's got real answers. Mm-hmm. As it were. Well, why, why don't we let you all find out for yourself? Yeah. So, with no further ado, here's uh, Mr. Mark Breton talking about uh, a spiritual and mental health assessment of evangelical Christianity. We'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, ready for his mental health assessment, Bionic. Ah, good. And uh, timely middle name. Foreshadowing. Yeah, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, as always. it is. Well, we I'm are going to be foreshadowed with a great guest this week. We have with us Mark Breton, who is the founder of the Relational Worldview Discipleship and Studies Institute, uh, and also a journalist for the Nashville scene. And we're going to talk this week about evangelical Christianity on the couch, a spiritual and mental health assessment. So that that's enough long phrases to put together. There you go. Let's put them the all together. From the beginning of the show. We're almost out of time. Yeah. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Breton, it's an honor to have you here for your first visit to the Future Quake Show. Thank you very, very much. I'm very glad to be here. I, uh, I have to sneak in my first my arcane joke. Uh, I was going to say that I've never been able to sneak into Bilderberg, but I have been to build a bear. Build a bear. Good, good, good. Well, to begin our discussion, our very serious discussion uh, today, uh, could you introduce yourself to our audience by uh, discussing your upbringing? and events leading to your Christian conversion, and, and about your interest and credentials in your current field since then. I know this is quite a mouthful, uh, and you have a fascinating testimony where you've come from in your life. So mm-hmm. as much as you feel comfortable sharing, share a little bit with our audience about it, because I think a lot of them are going to relate to what you have to share, and it's going to help them understand uh, what sort of formulates uh, some of your view and your counseling activities. Okay, sure. Uh I was saved from a horrible life of sin at the early age of nine. Uh, Many years I, uh, built up of righteous living. Yes, yes. exactly. No, I, I got saved when I was nine. Uh, my stepfather abandoned myself, uh, my mom, and I have three brothers. 
and I was nine at the time, yeah. And we had nothing. My youngest brother was three and a half. We had nowhere to go. And some actual Christians that somehow knew us through some other contacts offered us uh, their trailer, their mobile home, at a Christian conference center in Bradenton, Florida. And so we moved out there for the summer, and I was probably there less than a month before I, I got saved uh, a Sunday night. Uh, nobody else wanted to go to church that night, and I told my mom, I'm going to go to church and get saved tonight. So I hopped on my wow. bike and rode down there and sat at the front row. And this place probably sat, I don't know, 2,500, 3,000 people easy. And uh, I sat right down at front, and I sat there the whole time waiting for the guy to give the invitation. <laughs> and I just I ran down front and, and, and hit my knees and, and just cried like a fat, hungry baby, and uh, and uh, and gave my life to the Lord. And and he has been so true to me ever since, just incredible graciousness, faithfulness. And things got worse before they got better. Uh, shortly after that, my mom, who had had some mental health issues uh, before my stepfather left, started breaking pretty hard and... Uh, my brothers and I grew up in a very abusive home. We were raised in a Christian home. Those two things seem very dichotomous, but mm-hmm. but uh, uh, my mother just beat us relentlessly, uh, and it was horrible verbally. And so I, I grew up in terror, just absolute terror. And and finally, when I was 18, I'd gone to college for a couple uh, quarters back when colleges did it by the quarter system still. And then moved out, and uh, it, the transitioning out of that was just amazing. Uh, I myself am bipolar, and have had a couple instances where I've had to go to the hospital and been on medication and deal with that. And that's really what sparked my interest in counseling. And uh, I've been counseling and helping people since I was a teenager in ministry. Because I started off in a Christian rock band I put together, and. Uh, called Don Treader. I was a big C.S. Lewis fan, and oh, I still yeah. am. And, uh, and so we did that. I played a skating rink. It was probably the weirdest gig I've ever done because I kept seeing people go around and around. But, did, did, you, uh, did you get an icy reception there? <laughs> roller skating. Oh, okay. uh, no, no, I didn't have that happen. But I guess you can uh, call it rock and roll. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, folks. He's going to be here all week. Try to figure I'm sorry. <laughs> As you were saying. Get the weight staff. But uh, so I grew up uh, then, you know, after 18, uh, I got married when I was 20. I have three children. And uh, it was very, very tumultuous, and I didn't know what was wrong. But my faith is something that I'm one of those rare people that I've never questioned the existence of God. I've never questioned my salvation. Uh, and I've never questioned that he's there. There's a lot of times I wish that he had kept me from doing stupid things, but I've never blamed him. Uh, and, and that's an odd thing, but I think it, it plays into my approach in counseling. Uh, when I do pastoral counseling now is that I don't have any ought against God. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I just uh, I, I go at it day to day like that, uh, trying to uh, reach people. With, I guess coming from that mindset, uh, my uh, mother died uh, when she was 59, and this was probably about seven years ago, uh, from leukemia, and she never fessed up. 
she never fessed up to all the things that happened between mm -hmm. her and the boys. And then uh, my father took his own life uh, when he was 60. Uh, and that is a very long story. And if anybody mm -hmm. wants to know it, they can email me. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, so I've had both my parents die uh, of horrible causes. Uh, and have been alienated from family a lot. Uh, my my own father, flesh and blood, I finally met him when I was 18, and he just could not see his way clear to really having anything to do with me, and we probably only talked uh, every eight or ten years, mm -hmm. despite the fact that I called him once a month at least. Just wouldn't do it, so... That's uh, that's my childhood. Okay, uh, so you wouldn't call that an idyllic Christian uh, no, I grew up, like what to see in the Sunday school books. No, uh, I grew up dirty. Yeah. I grew up dirty and poor. We yeah. were broke. I was homeless at one point. Uh, I've lived in a lot of other people's houses. Uh, I used to have to get my clothes out of the clothes closet. For anybody out there that donates clothes to church, thank you. Uh, it might not fit. But it's better than nothing. Um, there were points where I, I, I joke around. I had to tie the underwear in a knot on one side to keep it from falling off. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, we were there. There were I can remember time when we had to go collect bottles to get money together to get food. And uh, I was on welfare and food stamps and, and stuff. And uh, and we were just very very poor. I grew up without a lot of things. And uh, but. I had a real love for reading and, uh, and and playing guitar, and God and guitar got me through my childhood. Okay. Okay. So, uh, you know, people who come to see you with problems can't look at you and say, well, you don't understand. You haven't been there like, like I have. No. I, I recently, uh, in the last year, led a support group at church. We had 12 different people in there. They were all coming with different backgrounds. One, they had family that was on drugs or some other dependency. Uh, somebody died. Uh, somebody was abused. And, and at one point, right towards the end of the group, we'd been meeting, I think, about eight weeks, one of the guys said, you know, each one of us came to this table with our one problem. He said, but you, by yourself, have all of our problems. <laughs> and he's like, you need to, he's like, you need to be on the couch, man. I said, believe me, I've spent plenty uh, of time there. So, <laughs> is, that, is that on the job training? Yes, hardcore, so to speak. Uh, you know, I'd just like to challenge our listeners too that next time, like like uh, what Brother Mark here referred to, next time you see some folks in your church that need some assistance, uh, need some food or clothing, other kind of things, picture Brother Mark here in this family. Put 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 a face and a name and a voice and a potential to those people that are there. These are real people. Uh, next month it might be us, might be any of us at the time. But but now you're at a point now where have you just finished your master's degree in this area? What about yeah, your educational it, background? Uh, I, my bachelor's in information technology, uh, but I only got it so that I could get my master of arts in religion and pastoral counseling was my major because uh, I have always felt drawn to helping people, and I can think of no better way to help anyone than bringing bringing them into a right relationship with God. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, I can't see anything that stretches deeper or or meets needs the way that does. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. I'm currently working on my uh, doctor of ministry, uh, which, of course, being a professional degree, doesn't have as much research involved in it. But to, to plug a little something, um, 
I have started, along with the steering committee that includes a couple pastors from my church, an organization that's called, and it's a mouthful, the Relational Discipleship and Worldviews Studies Institute. And uh, the website should be built soon. But um, if I if I messed idea, that up, I apologize about that earlier. Let me make sure I get that right. The relational relational, relational discipleship and worldview studies institute. That's correct. Okay, all right. that's correct. And don't worry about before I mess it up all the time. Okay. <laughs> um, I read well, like it, a Chinese it, in my notes here, so that was part oh, of my the whole problem. thing was to cover the goals and still come up with a great acronym for the. Uh, uh, for the website, which is Artisy. Ah. So if you see it, I'll let R-D-A-W-S-I, Artisy.org. And okay. so that will soon be up, and, and, and it'll link off my own website. But uh, And so I'm doing that, working on my doctorate in ministry, and then through the uh, the institute will garner, gather together enough data to put together what I need for a Ph.D. Okay. Hmm. All right. All right. Uh, speaking of your uh, your PhD and your doctoral work, uh, you've got this institute uh, for that. Content-wise, are there some certain subject areas you want to focus on to make up the content of of that organization? Absolutely. Uh, what what we're doing is it's what I've described as a three-legged stool. Uh, uh, if you mess with either one of these. The other one gets off balance, and you're liable to fall on on your backside. Um, discipleship in relationship, according to a godly worldview, and these three integrate in such a way that when you build them together, when the worldview is aligned correctly. And my whole thing is about alignment. You'll hear me talk about alignment a lot when I speak to groups or whatever I'm doing. When the worldview is aligned with the authority and, and principles of Scripture then the disciple will be in relationships that allow him to grow as a disciple for all the right reasons. And all of this reinforces the worldview. Hmm. Okay. Wow. Well, I'm sure that's going to become much clearer to our listeners by the time we're, we're, we're done with this interview. And, and be sure and reinforce the worldview aspect in the content okay. that we discuss. I know we're going to be talking about things on a very personal level. But right. uh, as, as you've just said, you've made the point that your worldview is indispensable uh, in how it interacts and interrelates with it. What do you hope to accomplish in your individual future career in Christian counseling? What is it you particular your role as opposed to all others in that field that you want to accomplish your your target? I, I see Christian counseling as not only as one of the helping ministries where you're really getting people to change even just a little bit to look at their world a little differently and by their world i mean their own personal experiences pain encounters everything they they come up against if they can just tweak that a little bit and understand that god is not with them in the trial but that he's able to redeem that experience then they can grow as disciples so the goal is always making better disciples but the idea in the counseling is to encounter them in a very direct and thorough way so that they get to talk about what they need to talk about. You know, I've had people who – I've had a, a teenage client who was cutting. Right. And so we had to uncover the family problems that were going on and the pressures that were happening, why this Christian girl would cut. Um, and then I had uh, – I've had people who were suicidal, 
I've had people that were suffering enormous grief and, uh, and because of my own experiences, I'm able to relate to that. And I'm a little different than most pastoral counselors in that, uh, I'm not also running a church. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I counsel, I don't have to worry about, uh, losing a member as such. I get to dig in a little harder than, uh, a lot of pastoral counsels do because I don't have any anything I'm strung to. Mm-hmm. I'm grounded. I'm under authority at my own church, but I don't have my my focus isn't in that regard. I don't right. ha- I don't have to think about Sunday morning. What am I going to talk about while I'm mm-hmm. Wednesday night or Tuesday night sitting in the room with a person talking about what's going on? And so, in Christian counseling specifically, I want to continue to help individuals who are on the fringe. I I find that I I I pick up the people that, uh, for some reason or another, have found themselves frustrated in their counseling experiences with previous counselors and also are marginalized in the church because they aren't necessarily the people that others are drawn to. And what I mean by that is, is when you're beat down, it's very hard for other people to, to relate. Uh, they, 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 you know, people want to come up to you and say, hey, how you doing? And if you feel really horrible and you're honest about it, then people will be like, wow, you know, that's a, I, don't, I don't want to get my hands on that. Right. Um, and, what, and they get to the edges then, and then it gets worse. And I'm the person who runs around the edges and does my best with the grace of God to catch the people before they fall off. Mm. And so I go after the fringe clients. Well, and, if you're looking, my best. yeah, if you're looking for fringe, marginalized people, you found the right place. <laughs> yeah, welcome yeah. to Future Quake. <laughs> you must have done a lot exactly. of re- must have done a lot of research, market research, to find our group here because <laughs> you, you've got the um, island of misfit toys right here. You're talking to. I am. I'm the I'm the Jack in the Box, missing an eye or whichever one that was, you know, mm-hmm. or the okay. penguin with one wing or something. Yeah. Okay. So I'm one of those people. Uh, I have frustrated pastoral counselors because of my uh, at pastors because I want to dig in. You know, it's mm-hmm. almost as if I'm shelling fifty bucks on the table and I want to get at the problem. Right. And yeah. so, it's not something where uh, I'm going to throw out a trade word, newthetic, which is utterly and completely scriptural. It's like if you came to me and said, "Well, you know, my heart is just aching because my wife left me." Right. I'm not going to just sit there and throw back scripture in your lap and say, you know, well, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Yes, that's very true. Right. But it also says, you know, to cry with your brother when they cry and to right. rejoice with your brother when they rejoice. It's relational. And so I'm very much about building relationships and, and, and trust. And that's, that's, those are counseling 101 type ideas, mm-hmm. trust and relationships. And I see a lot of pastors fail in this mm-hmm. uh, and, and when they attempt counseling because they haven't been trained or they're, they're, they've got their mind made up so much about what they think about things that when they approach the counseling, they're not really listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's almost sermon time. They need, to go, wow. they need to go check out Proverbs, I guess it's 2520, where it talks about singing a song to somebody who's sad is like taking their coat away on a on a cold day or pouring vinegar on soda, something like that. Wow. You know, it just doesn't I, – I know exactly where you're coming from because I see that sort of stuff all the time with 
different pastors. Okay. Yeah, and and I'm not trying to say that they don't care. No, no, no. I'm no, just no, saying no. that in yeah. in this in this, this this particular instance, I don't think they know how to. Because yeah. most pastors are terrified. So many of them are in some aspect scared of their congregation because they've been beat up and they've been burnt. And so I can I I feel like one of the areas that the Lord's actually going to end up bringing me into as I teach discipleship and relationships is counseling pastors. Interesting. Okay. Well, I, I would presume that the segment you're talking about, if I understand sort of who you're referring to, that segment of the church is probably growing significantly, correct? Yes. Okay. Now, um, if they they are not reached, and you say they're 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 marginalized or on the margin or fringe, if they're not reached, I assume that either a they may take drastic steps like suicide or something akin to that. They may just drop off away from the church and never come back, or they may run into the arms of cults. Are, exactly. are those the steps if they if if they don't get emergency room intervention by somebody like you? I see that happen. Uh, when when people uh, don't engage in a godly, loving fashion and and dig in for the long haul with people, it doesn't mean I meet with people every week, but I have a relationship with them. So when I see them week to week and Sunday, I'm in their lives. You know that scripture that says, uh, do not forsake the gathering together of believers, was not about showing up at church Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday that the New Testament did. It was about being in each other's lives, and that is so sorely missing in Western Christianity. Wow. We go to yeah. church, and we leave, and we might home fellowship, or we might hang every now and then, but we're a busy bunch of people. And so what happens is, is we're not engaged. And, you know, uh, if, if men, for instance, were really involved in each other's lives and told each other the truth, because they wanted that kind of respect, they wanted that to demonstrate that kind of integrity, I think you'd see the rate of adultery drop uh, dramatically because other men would be in their lives that could see. The, the, I mean, when a guy gets ready to, to go play an away game, as I referred to it earlier with somebody, um, <laughs> it's obvious. It is yeah. just painfully obvious. And, and so if there's godly men around him in his life, then they can step up and say, hey, I think... You're heading for a fall, brother. What can I do? And, and 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 we in relationship can stop that. And the Western Church is not like that. That's a very Asian type of thinking, mm-hmm. you know, uh, culturally. And so we just don't do it. Well, and because we're not in each other's lives, we see that uh, we see that fall apart a lot. Let, let me um, let me let me ask you something, and I don't know the answer to this, but uh-huh. you know, there's no. Uh, couple relationship, marriage relationship that's perfect and ideal. They're all under construction, so they're all less than the ideal. Could, could the strong male relationships also, until those relationships get stronger, the marital relationships, serve as a bridge to also help some men with their needs where they don't resort looking for those things out of an extramarital relationship? I know that's not ideal, but as marriages grow, and they're, they're always a work in progress, can that be something else to sort of help Build a little vanguard. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I'm, uh, I've been married 22 years, and my wife is my absolute best friend. Uh, I, it, no one else would have me, first mm-hmm. of all. Um, 
And second of all, she's so intelligent and intuitive. It's one of those things where you just get such a great fit. And I fought that for a long time because I have my ego, and, and I, I, I'm going to come out with a bumper sticker. I think you'd be able to order it off my website, and it says, Pride Kills. And, and just that. And it, I can imagine a bunch of people driving around town with that on their bumper <laughs> and people wondering, what does that mean, pride kills? Because mm-hmm. we hear about all the time, and pride kills relationships, and pride kills people, and pride kills hope. And so when when men are humble with their wives, then they become respectable, and then women are able to follow Paul's directive about wives respect your husband. Well, it's a lot easier to respect a husband when he's respectable. And for for husbands, love your wives. Well, it's a lot easier to love your wife when your wife is accepting love. Mm-hmm. Right. And you learn that language when she opens up to you and tells you how she wants to be loved. And so this is, again, it's relationship and it's work, but it's it's priceless. And most people don't put the value on it now that they ought to. And, and there is so much loss now in relationship, so much fear and pride and, and, and death. There's so much, so much death of relationships. And a marriage, a good, strong marriage where they talk to each other and, and, and strategically think out, how can I meet this person's needs and how can I serve the person? When they do that together as a team, every marriage should be us against the world, not you and me trying to get what we can get out of it. And it's what's incredible about that is the exact, exact picture of what our relationship with Christ is supposed to be like. It's me and him against the world. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom Bionic. Hmm. You really had us going on a little name there for a minute. O-M-M-M-M-M-M-Bionic. Oh, <laughs> yeah, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's our first installment with uh, Mark Breton, and we focused on his background and his mm-hmm. purpose and goals. Tomorrow we're going to get into the uh, really what his vision is of the state of the art, basically, or the state of the union of our of the church. But I just found his background fascinating about very, what he's come out of. And very from. interesting, yeah. Poor as poor can be, and some real Christians giving him a motorhome and stuff. And uh, I thought his his whole early conversion experience was very touching. He said. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go give my life to the Lord. And his mom said, well, okay. And he jumped on his bike and rode down to the church and sat in the front row at nine nine years old. The Lord kept and preserved him through a horrible family. Yes. And now what he wants to do is give back to the people. He's a real role model for us. He's great. And something else we can give you all is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, it's sort of the end of the, the road here. Until sort tomorrow. of. Like. It is. <laughs> Any last word? No. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, come back. We're going to really get into the, the state of evangelical Christianity today from a mental health uh, standpoint tomorrow. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Ciao. 
Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, ready to get into this interview and get uh, some Christian counseling out of the way by way of osmosis, bionic. You don't know where to end that, do you, to your last name? No. Okay. I'm filling out the form as we go. Welcome back to Future Quake. Uh, We're in day two of our interview this week with Mr. Mark Breton, who is the founder of the Relational Discipleship and Worldview Studies Institute, mm-hmm. and also a journalist for the Nashville scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, also a really great guy. Oh, that's, he probably appreciates that. He is. He's a good guy. Uh, and you're going to find out, listeners, if you've not heard before, you'll make that same determination. Because he's talking about the evangelical Christianity on the couch, a spiritual and mental health assessment of uh, evangelical Christianity. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're going to find somebody who talks very plain. Yeah. Uh, he has a lot of education and training in this field, working on his doctorate in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has a very unique worldview that's come from not having life the most easy way, no. as we heard yesterday. No. It's, it's interesting uh, to hear his sort of conversion experience, jump on the bicycle as a nine-year-old and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. Well, and if you missed yesterday, be sure and check it at futurequake.com. And uh, until then, we're going to have our next segment here, getting really into in depth about what's going on with people today. With no further ado, here is Mr. Mark Breton, and we'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. Well, well Brother Mark, I, w- I want to move on into the meat and the potatoes of our discussion, and I want you to take evangelical Christianity and put it on the couch, okay? Since we're right. a show that talks about the late breaking news and where we are culturally in our institutions, and in particularly the church and the evangelical church where we are, uh, the, the kind of intellectual crowd we have that listens to this show wants to see how this affects things on a societal level. So I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to, to take the evangelical church, you've got them in your office on the couch, and I want you to do a mental health assessment of them, okay? Oh, you've got a big couch. And if you list the cushions up, you'll find lots of pens and Cheerios. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they might help themselves to the coinage, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want to ask you, how has the psychological self-awareness, and I'm probably not phrasing the right counseling terms here, but self-awareness of a typical evangelical Christian individual, how has it evolved today in contrast to previous generations, who they are, how they perceive themselves, their makeup? Or are there a range of classic discrete types that you now see of people? I know that's a broad topic, but how would you give an individual assessment if you could you know, uh, give a, a stereotype of the evangelical Christian today of, say, generations past. What, how's their makeup different? Uh, well, there's definitely a difference. Uh, I would say that, first of all, there's only really two real types. You've got authentic, submitted disciples and people who are in relationship with God. And then you've got people who are in relationship with God simply to see what they can get out of it to try to make it work for them as a philosophical life system. And so you have people who are accepting the authority of Christ and then being remade. And then you've got people who approach Christianity as a life philosophy and try to make it work for them. I think those are the two big delineations. And then I think it breaks out into other areas of that. 
I think there's a lot of evangelicals that are in churches that don't teach scripture. Mm-hmm. They they get really wrapped around the axle about politics, and so you see political Christians, and they believe that their moral stances define them as Christians, and they're politically active either in their thought processes or in the way that they engage with people in their work centers or whatever, and so they're defined by their politics, and their politics happen to align with a lot of biblical principles, for instance. Or you see people who are very much into themselves. I think I think that there is an extreme amount of self-centered thought in evangelical Christianity today. Uh, And it's really... Isn't it all about how to be a better you? That's what I hear with the the big arena television shows. It's all about how to get yourself together rather than sending missionaries over to the jungle. Right. And you'll get that all the time because that puts people in the seats. Uh, It feels good. It sounds good. It doesn't work. And that's the biggest problem I find with it. I, you know, I watch some guys on TV, and I come away from it encouraged. And then I go read my Bible so I get uh, actually changed. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and, and so... Uh, I'll make sure people understand what you just said. Okay. You can hear well, the message of the people and get encouraged, but it's the message from the living Word of God that creates the necessary change. Exactly, because Scripture says to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the way that's going to occur, the way that we take on the mind of Christ, is by taking on what Jesus himself has revealed to us in his word. He is the living word. And so as we get the written word, what he has given to us, we read that, and it changes our alignment. There's the word alignment again. Uh, our worldview into one which matches his worldview, and that this is a place that is destitute and broken, and that needs to be saved. And that means that for me to save anybody, I need to be saved. I, I need to be standing on that rock, reaching out to the people that are trying to climb up it. Mm-hmm. And if I cannot firmly identify myself with Christ and understand his mindset, I can't do it. Okay. I, I, it's, it's, it's like I think in the church we see too many placebos are being given out, and we don't see enough people being told I'm not talking about fire and brimstone. I'm talking about the fact that we have to become submitted Christians, that it isn't about us at all anymore, and the greatest joy is found in that. And and submission is really the only ticket to happiness, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's only only two ways to get to happiness, which is situational, Um, and that is, is submitting to the Lord and being grateful. Gratefulness cures pride. If anybody uh, has a problem with pride, uh, start being grateful. Hmm. And then you'll realize that everything that you have came from the Father in one way or the other. Hmm. And uh, so that's the prideectomy. Okay. <laughs> and you gotta, the, the, the pride has to go first. That's the first the, in the workshop, as I've written the curriculum, the first thing we tackle is the prideectomy. Because if I can't get people to let go of their pride, how am I going to introduce an actual biblical worldview and allow them to buy it? Okay. Because they won't be interested in it because it's about them. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's about serving the Lord in, its, in, in, in your entire being. And, and I assume a pride is sort of like an appendix. It's something you can take it out and you can still function absolutely fine without it. Absolutely fine. Now, um, 
I, I would presume that you know the issue of pride, and that to me, there's a lot of pressure that goes with pride. We we like to claim the pride because we like to take credit for our accomplishments or who we are as people. But then you always have this pressure to perform, this pressure to fulfill. It isn't in fact a submitted life, a liberated life, because the performance and the outcome is now dependent on someone else other than yourself. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. And and that's where the internal pressure in the evangelical church is so overwhelming for people and why I get people uh, in my office, or the office I'm borrowing, I don't have one at the time, um, unless you count my studio, which two people barely fit in. But um, But I get these people into the office, and they come to me and they say to me, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm, I'm going to church, I'm trying to worship, I don't feel any peace. And I'm like, it sounds to me like you might be doing this for all the wrong reasons. It'd be like you get up in the morning and you cook for your wife and you do some dishes and you do some laundry and you make sure you throw your socks in the hamper, but you never actually sit down with her and talk to her and tell her how much you love her and how much you need her. Mm. When, when you do those things, then you have a relationship, and then you have context to have all the other things occur. You know, th- these people that come to me and talk about their depression, they're not realizing that in their depression they're putting God at arm's length. They want to be fixed. They don't want to hurt anymore. And the thing is, and the biggest change I've seen, and I think this is what's led to the selfishness that we see in the church, is that Christians don't understand the role of pain and suffering, personal pain and suffering at all anymore. Mm. Wow. wow. Uh, because I, I remember speaking to a, a counselee one time, and, and, and this person was talking about how horrible life was. And I said, uh, and, and it was like, if I can't have it my way, I don't want to be here anymore. I can't imagine living this way the rest of my life. And I said, what if, what if, as a Christian, this was it? You know you're going to heaven. You know it's going to be in the next 40 or so years or sooner. I said, what if in this life you're suffering, your personal pain, which both realize everybody goes through on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're, you're unique just like everyone right. else. Um, <laughs> if, if, if you understood, as, and this is something I've come to having lost my parents and gone through all the horrible things that I've gone through, what if I was going to be suffering the rest of my life? Would I do that for the cause of Christ? Would I accept depression, as Paul referred to it, that he trembled and he was in fear? and it, I mean, he practically ached with fear on occasion when he had to confront certain situations. Will I live with that to glorify God? Will I pay that price? Or is it going to be about me feeling good? Hmm. Okay. And Christians can't, so many Christians won't come up against that anymore because they're, they're, they're using Christianity to create an identity that makes them feel good about themselves. And the thing is, is that it's backwards. You pour everything that you have into the, into the cause and person of Christ, becoming His, becoming made like Him, being pressed and shaped into that image, and then all other things come. So, so you persevere in spite of the pro, the pain, exactly. Rather than presuming that the pain means something is not right, and we need to find out how quickly to get rid of it. 
Exactly. James was talking to, if you look at like when he wrote his first chapter, um, he said, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into diverse trials and temptations, for the working of your faith produces patience. Now, either these people were ignorant and understand Christianity, even though James wrote this after the church had been around for some time, and he had taken over the Jerusalem church from Peter, or these people were really whiny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he had to tell them why they were there. You know, in the first century, and, 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 and then as the church grew in those first two uh, centuries, people were begging for the opportunity to die for the Lord. Mm -hmm. They felt that incredible honor to give their life for God. And today, people are going to church. There's two different kinds I see. You either see the, uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, liberation slash prosperity gospel. Mm -hmm. And uh, both of those things are, are just absolute delusions of, of the truth. And it's all about either uh, getting freedom outside of Christ by taking revenge of some kind uh, against another uh, or retribution. You know, it's a retribution kind of thing. Or it's about getting what you want in this life right now, mm -hmm. fulfillment right here and right now. Mm -hmm. And yet Jesus clearly said, store up your treasure in heaven where it can't corrupt, you know. Right. And so yeah. and, and that's the worldview alignment that I'm talking about. You know, I would suspect that there are some people in the church that if for some reason they knew clearly an opportunity was there where they were called to die for their faith right on that day, they might be more willing to do that. But if they're called to endure the loss of a spouse, for example, and have a long life ahead of them where they would feel that pain while at the same time for decades later be required or, or you know, requested of their Lord to serve faithfully, Mm -hmm. In the middle of that pain for decades of separation, they might be less likely to take on that that yoke upon sure. them Absolutely. than it would sure. be the former yoke. It's it's very difficult, but you have to understand that that is the the the, uh, the gap in which relationship then has to occur, and it's the opportunity. You know, it says that we were created for good works in Christ. Well, to do those good works, opportunity has to be there. And those good works are me drawing alongside of my brother when he's in pain and being there for him. And that's such an overused phrase, oh, I'm being there. But it's really showing genuine concern. You know, when I think of the family of Christ, when I think of the body of Christ, I think of them closer than my own flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. And I'm even closer, I'm very close with my brothers. But, you know, anybody in the body is going to get the very same treatment or better than I would even give my own brothers mm -hmm. because of that relationship. And, and that unity isn't there because we don't think that way. And we don't think that way because we haven't been taught that way. Now, can you clarify further how the, the, the kind of archetypes you just described of the average evangelical today and in the trends that you mentioned, how that contrast from earlier generations, how were they quite different, the church of you know our grandparents and earlier? I, th I think society almost shows more of the signs of where we lack, uh, what has changed. It used to be that when there was a problem in society, people turned to the church. The Salvation Army is a fantastic example of right. the church coming forward. Uh, the abolition of slavery in England and then finally in America is a fantastic example of when the church stepped up. In the first century, rich men, poor men, whatever, they sold what they had 
So get into a community to live together to for the betterment of them uh, of each other's station because Christianity there are so many poor people. But uh, the idea was that they would give all for each other so that other people would see them and understand what Jesus looked like. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was it. And, and people were so drawn to that love. And, and that, was, that was their testimony. These Christians, I believe it was uh, one of the Caesars, or one of the generals of the Caesars, I wish I could remember, said the love that these Christians have for one another and this is in the midst of terrible tribulation. And we don't have that now. We don't see that now. What we see now are people who get together every now and then. Michael Card had a fantastic song called Present Reality where he said, uh, uh, once a once-a-week observance where we coldly mouth your words. Mm-hmm. And, and people, when they approach church for what they can get, rather than what they can give, and then it flows them then there's a, a loss. And, and right now we see in society where the government is being begged, right. I mean absolutely begged, to take up the reins that the church will not take up. Well, I want to talk about you know, that on the institutional issues. But, but, but to close up on the individual end, I'm, I, I'm surmising from your discussion that many generations ago, people didn't go from their farms and communities to their little small community church, going there, looking for a message to figure out how they could be more successful in their life, you know, so they'd get that at church and leave with it. They were actually right. going there out of a measure of gratitude that their Lord provided the water for their crops, that took care of their children, that had a relationship, even if they were going through times of great distress or great loss. But but even then, it was a relationship, even if their education may not have been very strong. You know, those that could read usually read the Bible. If they read, that's, that was the reading after dinner time. Uh, so so they, if they had any kind of reading knowledge, it was of, of the Scripture. But, but they went for that purpose, not walking out thinking, how can I make my economic state or, or similar relationships better? Your best crop now. As your best <laughs> crop now, for example. And I, and I, I see that as a big, big change. I, I want to talk on from, from individuals to family relationships. Right. And, and and looking overall at the trends that we have now, how have internal family relationships changed in Christian homes in recent years? And how is that impacting how we perceive ourselves? I think we're seeing two things happen. Uh, one is in, in the social Christian circles, you're seeing nothing really be different from the world. And that's why we're seeing such a huge number of kids, when they turn 18 and can move, they immediately abandon the faith because they see no faith actually lived in their home. And so you've got this group of people that are just driving away from committed Christianity, authentic Christianity. And then you've got another group of people, which is growing and growing, and these are the folks that are homeschooling their children, for instance, uh, that want to be in their children's lives, that explain things to their children. You know, it says in the Old Testament, you're going out and you're coming in and right. you're sitting down and you're standing up. These are the families that are, uh, and, and I thank the Lord that he has given me the kind of family that he has, where we talk about Jesus all the time. Everything relates to God. And in the older days, you know, before the Industrial Revolution, when everybody was pulled out of the home and forced into a money-gathering position, mm-hmm. 
people had such a huge place for God in their life. And it wasn't superstition. It was a, a, a realization of how awesome the Lord is and how much he does supply for our needs, every, every need, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And so this was the reality. They, they knew the word. The word was vital to them. It was, it was read in their homes. It was respected. God had a seat at the table. And now we see families that are fractured in every manner of self-interest. Children don't know who they are because their parents treat them like visitors and just drive them everywhere and keep them busy. And the parents keep them busy so that the parents are like they're doing something for slash with the kid. And that speaks to an inadequacy that the parent has. We live in a generation of adults who don't know how to parent. And so they drop their kids off with professionals every day who aren't parents aren't the parents, and, and there's such a huge chasm of understanding between mothers and fathers and their children, and the children then have no identity. And so the one identity that might have been pushed down on them is that you better be in church on Sunday morning or we're going to hear about it. So they hop in the car, fly it all the way there, come in, smile, do their hour and a half, hop back in the car and hit the drive through or try to get to the buffet before the Baptists do, is the, the joke <laughs> in my house. Um, and, they, and they, they treat each other with such distance and, and disrespect, and the children grow up in this and don't have an identity in Christ. And see, my tribulation in my own home drove me to the Lord, and I chose to make my identity all about him. Otherwise, I would have felt myself to be an absolute worthless waste of life who would have been a drunk, druggie. Uh, and, and, and I can have that contrast because I have brothers who have gone that route who have chosen to do drugs, who have chosen to do criminal acts, who have gone to jail, my own flesh and blood. And so the Lord saved me through his grace to, to honor and serve him. And it was a choice. But because I buried my identity in him, I was found in Christ, then that's how I emerged through all the trouble that I had coming. And then, you know, other people shake it out a different way, and, and there's so many people that are looking good but lost. Is no lost is uh, last year's Easter egg. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, I get the sense that today's harried rush families. A lot of times you have two earners in the household, not always, but but sometimes is that everybody's just sort of hanging on for dear life with their schedule, and the right. parents are just barely keeping up with their own personal commitments. Uh, in, in trying to, uh, you know, uh, chauffeur the children to theirs. Mm -hmm. So everyone well, really doesn't have time to spend much time together in most homes because they're barely keeping up with each of their own individual itineraries. Yeah, and I believe it was Maslow who has the hierarchy of needs. Right. Uh, and, and, and you'll hear some people talk about this. Christians have immediate, immediate uh, realization of themselves if they choose it. So we bypass the entire hierarchy because even if we become a Christian and don't have food and die, we are a Christian. We are a child of God, and we go to be in his presence. Wow. So no matter what happens to us, that is our identity. That is what we have to anchor ourselves to. And so as people try to step through this in America, we see people, you know, they're not scrambling for, uh, for a great place to live. They've got houses that are enormous. They're not scrambling for you know, a job. We, they've hit the identity ceiling. 
And, and so they try everything they can to give themselves a sense of identity, and they've lost it. And the church, evangelical Christianity, we're the ones that believe the Scripture is authoritative, right? We're the ones that are following the world down a path of, of utter, utter uh, vanity because we're trying to make ourselves look like them because they're successful. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's, it's, it's dust in our mouth. It's, there's, there's nothing there. If you are not complete, you know, Job said it best. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Yeah. So is that and that of, is the point every one of us has to get to as believers. Is that like an we alcoholic? We have to understand that. Is that like an alcoholic who wants to have a, at least a down alcoholic beer in their hand so they blend into the party and look like everybody else? Even they yeah. know what's there is harmful, they at least would like to pretend that they're participating in it. Exactly. It's you know, and Jesus made it very clear: you're either going to be you know, transformed or conformed. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and Christians need to understand the gravity of that. And I think because we've lost our sense of the position of God in our life, in our, in our family circles, in our larger family circles, and in our churches, then we've lost the ability to see uh, through the absolute truth of Scripture what society is actually supposed to look like. And we've turned our back on it. We feel powerless in the face of all of this loss and all of this pain. And as a result, then we let the government step right in there and do something. And, and they're not qualified to do it. They're lousy at it. And uh, the ultimate need of the people doesn't get met because it's, the government's not leading anybody to Christ. I'll tell you that. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, almost ready to go anywhere, anytime, bionic. Okay. And as we'll find out at the end of the show, uh, Mr. More Bretton, foreshadowing, folks, foreshadowing. Mr. Mr. Breton has offered that, in fact. Yeah. Um, he uh, he really didn't hold his punches back about where no. the average typical Christian is today in our culture. Yeah. That are just basically self-centered and self-focused. Yeah. And that's why they probably magnify their own problems because of that. Well, it's, yeah, uh-huh, totally. Amen. I mean, he was very old school. Even though he's a modern kind of guy in terms of the vernacular and mm-hmm. understanding the culture, he's very old school in the term of like, get your eyes off yourself, get it on service and on Christ. Yeah, totally. You know? Totally. I had a friend of mine who was, he had just started being a pastor, and uh, there was a the guy who was sort of overseeing him uh, was in a counseling session, and the guy storms out because I guess he was, mm-hmm. I guess the pastor was saying, look, you're messed up. You are all messed up. You are messed up. And the guy stormed out. And they're crying and they're screaming mm-hmm. and everything. And he turned to my friend who had just started mm-hmm. to be a pastor. He said, so you want to be a pastor, huh? And he goes, ha, 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 Like a mad laugh. And that's what I sort of get from uh, Mark Breton. Not a mad laugh, but like the old school, like, look, you know, you yeah. got to get your eyes off yeah. you and got to get your eyes on the Lord. That's right. Well, speaking of messed up, Merv can come tell you here how you can contact us here at FutureQuake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. 
That's okay. a beautiful segue. Thank I, you I, so much. I feel like we should take more shots at him sometimes. And, and like we don't already? <laughs> uh, we love Merv, yeah. but we do need to run. Ladies and gentlemen, come back for the next segment uh, with uh, Mr. Mark Bratton. And, but until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom. <laughs> we haven't heard the African clicking sound the, the, version the, the, in a long time. Cool. Yeah. Those are some of the, uh, representing some of the Futurian listeners out yes. in the remote areas. Yeah, we were we were just vamping on how so many people have downloaded our show lately and from all over the from world. From remote places, yeah. that's right. And that's kind of where that middle name came from. Yeah, from, from some time ago. Yeah. Uh, if you are new to our show, you you probably have no idea what we're talking about. And we, uh, we don't But either. what you do need to know is that this is our third segment of our interview with uh, Mr. Mark Bredden, who is the founder of the Relational Discipleship and Worldview Studies Institute mm-hmm. and also is a journalist for the Nashville scene. And he's talking about uh, evangelical Christianity on the couch, a spiritual and mental health assessment. So we're taking a look from a trained counselor looking at evangelical Christianity and sort of figuring out where we are. What's in our head? You're too it's be self-centered. Scary. And it's going to be pretty scary yeah. what you see here. But we need to hurry because we Let's don't go. have much time today. So no further ado, here's Mr. Mark Bratton. We'll be right back here at Future Quake. Well, let me let me uh, step one more step back. Okay. To, um, we, we've, we've looked at the family unit. Now let's let's look at the church body as a whole, okay? Um, because of all these individual things going on with people today and their families, how have these influences and others shaped a sort of a group think or current identity within church fellowships today, individual church bodies, or even the whole church body as a whole of those who profess Christ? How, how, how are these things working to have sort of more of a corporate effect on our identity and how we interact with the world as, as a body as a whole? Uh, right now in my doctorate, I'm taking a class on leadership, Christian leadership, and uh, thank the Lord this textbook and, and the other material I'm encountering is saying straight out, the truth of managing society, the church, the, the, the spreading of the gospel, the way the family goes, leadership, is servant leadership done under the guidance of God, mm-hmm. and it's submission to that. It, we're not a business. So the church doesn't adopt business principles. The church actually sets business principles because we're the only ones who have absolute un- unrestricted access to uh, to the truth. And so this is about rethinking that entire thing. And I think the group think that we're seeing in churches is grow it big and then find anonymity in, in the in the in the big old pool. Um, a lot of people don't want to be held responsible. They don't want to, and, and I mean, I'm talking about a glance at somebody who obviously came in off the street looking rough, living rough, and they come into the church and nobody talks to them. And this could be a massive church. I went to a huge church in Albuquerque, New Mexico for a little while, and it amazed me how many people, it was so funny because so many of the guys dressed like the pastor did, which he had his own unique little thing, and so many of the women dressed just like the, the pastor's wife did. And she kind of had her own little thing going. 
and nobody talked to each other. Hmm. You know, this, you're talking about 15,000 people would get through this building in a weekend, and you just didn't see engagement. And so, so uh, in other words, they may have might as well just stayed in their homes and watched it on TV. Exactly, because they're going to hear the same thing, right? So now they can just go home and watch it and be encouraged along with the other 35,000 people that are sitting in the whatever sports arena or wherever it happens to be going down. Uh, I, I went to a Billy Graham get-together when he had one in Nashville. Uh, he did a big crusade here. 67,000 people were in the stadium the Titans play in. And I guarantee you, guarantee you, more than 40,000 of those people were already Christians. And they didn't bring anybody with them. They wanted to see Billy Graham. They wanted to be near the celebrity, and they wanted to hear the rock music. And so, you know, church is an experience to be had in America as opposed to being where you go to get changed. It's where you go to hit the altar. You know, my own church doesn't have an altar, and it kind of wigs me out a little bit. We still pray down front. Mm -hmm. But I remember growing up, that's where you went. That's where you hit your knees. That's where people came around you and laid hands on you. And you prayed together, and you cried together, and you wept over your sin. Mm -hmm. Voluntarily, you went to the Lord in the presence of your family, the church, and you submitted to God. And it wasn't that the pastor held the hammer over your head, and you didn't get guilt-tripped, and they didn't do 2,000 verses of just as I am. Right. Your compulsion was to get down there on your face before the Lord and deal with the Lord rightly. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's not just the time when you give your heart over to the Lord, make a profession no. of faith. That was considered to be a regular position to keep yourself on on the straight and narrow. Exactly. And it was self-examination. And, and it wasn't something that was supposed to humiliate or to isolate you from other people or to get nope. people talking about each other. It was something that we all shared together because it made everyone equal. Uh, on their knees, bowed uh -huh. before the Lord, yeah, because we're all, the we same all height. <laughs> we, you know, I, I can remember a story I read on the back of a bulletin one time, of a king who had a great banquet and everyone was there, and a, and a court jester was doing some juggling, and he he fumbled it and dropped it all, and everybody got quiet. They knew the king would be mad, and he looked at the king and just in you know groveling before him, and he says, you know, Lord, please be merciful to me, a fool. And it says that the the king just didn't say anything, and they looked at him, and he just got up and walked out the back and walked through the garden and looked up to the sky. And the king said, Lord, be merciful to me, a fool. Uh, and it's so true. And that's, and, that's and, the idea we're supposed to have wow. when, we're, when we recognize our own shortness before God, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And, and you know what? There's no loss in that. That is where true right. joy begins. That's, I mean, joy unspeakable. I can't even explain to people how infused with the peace and joy of God that I am. And they ask me, well, how did you get there? Because I do counseling, and I deal with people all the time who aren't at that place. And I told them I just submitted. I just utterly turned it over. I told the Lord exactly every area in my life where I fell short and how I needed him desperately. And then I just rested in that. You know, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But you got to get in the yoke. Mm -hmm. He might be the big ox pulling this thing, and you're along for the walk, you know. But you got to get in the yoke. Mm -hmm. And and I've been misreading, I think, uh, or in some ways misapplying the verse from James where it says, "Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed." Now I always looked at that as an individual thing, you know. Go to the, your brothers and confess your 
you may be healed. He was speaking as the church corporately. He was saying, for the body, because he was writing the letter to a group, and, and I had taken that mm-hmm. and thought, you, and, and singularized it. Right. And, uh, and in actuality, he was saying that if you will go before each other and confess your sin, you as a group will be healed, and then you'll stand before the Lord whole, because he makes you whole. So a church body, if they have an attitude, and they create an atmosphere in an individual church body, where people in humility can quickly address things where they've offended another person in church or there's some kind of schism that's starting to grow or whatever, where they can quickly get to it and nip it in the bud, that can be a healing process for the whole church body. Exactly, exactly. And in that instance, and I know from experience because when I had marital problems due to uh, all manner of things, um, uh, I was able to go to my brothers in my church and and. I didn't go in front of the whole church and say, boy, I tell you, things are awful, and, you know, no, 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 no. I went to brothers that were mature that I could trust, and I poured my heart out. And I poured it out not to be right. I poured it out to be sick. I poured it out because I wanted to be made whole. I didn't want to win the argument. You never win the argument. There's no winner in argument. It wasn't to win. It was to, it, it, it was to be made whole and healed and shaped like Christ. I wanted to be the servant husband in my family, and I didn't know how because I couldn't forgive. And my brothers taught me how to forgive because they'd been there and they knew how to do it. But this is another case, too, where learning how to submit and make yourself as nothing is truly liberating because you have, you have nothing to lose. Once you've given up everything, your dignity, anything you reserve of your own self-respect, then you have nothing to lose other than to do what's best for yourself and the body, and you're yeah. liberated from having to defend the pride and a reputation of what other people think about you, then you're truly a free man or woman. Right, and to get to that place of freedom, utter freeman, uh, free, freedom, uh, you have to recognize Scripture that what it says is the truth. I mean, it is true, and, and Jesus himself said that your righteousness is as filthy rags, and we parade around in our righteousness like you know, uh, it's just proud, proud of ourselves, you know, and, and it's ridiculous. And, and it's almost as if people don't actually read the word and understand that Jesus said what he meant. And he meant what he said when he said, your self-righteousness is a filthy rags. Mm-hmm. And so if you go into a church, and that's not a down on anybody, but until you diagnose the problem, you can't get, you can't get fixed. And so you have to be willing to get in front of the mirror, do self-examination, and really look at it, and then confess it to the Lord and be made whole. And instead of self-examination, what we have is self-preservation. And nobody comes to church. If everybody's wearing filthy rags, no one's comparing their clothes to somebody else's and saying, well, they've got a little nicer buttons on their filthy rags than I do. I feel inferior. Uh, Nobody wants... It's just a bunch of people wearing filthy rags and smelly rags... And then let's get that behind us and focus on ministering and worshiping the Lord. Exactly. We understand then that our righteousness needs to hit the highway. And we get rid of it. We release it to the Lord and say, look, I'm not trying to be anything but like you. Now, and th- I don't have anything to be other than, it's like I've got two identities. And if I could change my name, I would do it. I would be called disciple here. And then when I get to heaven, I will be son. And mm-hmm. I, if I can live with those two constructs, knowing that here I am disciple, I am a son of God, 
-hmm. but focus on that, that purifying and sanctification that goes on in, in, in taking every piece of me and turning it over, then, then, you know, I will enjoy sonship to such a great degree. Mm -hmm. And there's no place for ego at all in Christianity. None. Mm -hmm. And so removing that is very difficult for Americans. It's so tough because we have such this construct built around us to preserve ourselves. And that's where people, that cognitive dissonance then that they get, when they have this ego thing they're trying to preserve, and they come to me and they're like, I can't do this, and I don't understand why God's punishing me. And it's very much like if anybody has read uh, 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 Don Treader, uh, the book by C.S. Lewis, they remember the story of Edmund when he's on the island, and he's been turned into a dragon. The revelation of his true self has happened. He is a greedy, horrible thing that cannot communicate. And so Aslan brings him to the pool and says, all right, we'll cut your skin off. And so he peels the skin off, and there's more dragon. And there's just more dragon, and he keeps doing this. And then finally Aslan unsheathes the cloth and digs in so bad. It's, Edmund describes it as it's, he feels like it's killing him, and he just wants it to end, but he knows he has to have it. And when Aslan, who is, of course, an, a model of Christ, does the cutting, then the boy emerged. The real person emerged when Jesus gets to cut all the dragon away from you, all the falsity, all the pride, all the ego, all the construct that we have, which will last just a vapor in our lifetime. When he gets to cut that away, then we truly become something that is, is incredibly beautiful in the presence of God. Well, looking at the church universal uh, throughout the world or throughout our nation, the, the verse that you quoted about confessing your sins one to another that you'd be healed, can you see a, a, a movement or some kind of structure by which the church as an overall structure can do this process of confessing their sins one to another, that the whole universal body of Christ could be healed of the, the schisms and the other shortcomings that they have today? I think recognizing that the, why they're there is probably one of the very first big things. And I think it's going to start. I see churches, I see all over the world, but especially in the Western church, which has totally changed. North America is the only continent where Christianity is not growing. America is the 13th most missionized church in the world right now. We were the ones that sent the missions out. We were the ones that reached out to the world. And now all those nations we reached out to are now trying to turn us back to the Lord. And so if we as, as individuals and then as families and then as churches and then as, as neighborhoods and cities, as, as we gain a sense of ourselves through radio shows like this, and other ways of building community realize that we have supplanted the place of God with a, a, an artificial construct, which was idolatry, because it wasn't God. And it looks like us. It's a God that we can control. It's all superstition, and, 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 and really it's, it's just foolishness. And when we start to recognize that and then get everybody on board one person at a time, then the character of the nation changes. I'm going to say something now that a lot of people uh, out there will hear, and they're going to go like, you know, I'm going to get bad emails, or you're going to get letters. We have to understand that we are not Americans first. Mm -hmm. We are Christians. And the fact that I live in America makes me want to make my country a better country. Mm -hmm. 
but I am a Christian. I am a nation, or rather, I am a citizen of heaven. Right. And Jesus yeah. said that we had to be out of the world in order to even affect the world. You know, and and so we've we've lost that identity. And I think the church in, in America and Western civilization would be able to reconcile better with, say, the largest church in the world, which is in China, mm-hmm. if we were not hypocritical and were humble and understood that we are all a part of the same body. You know, America has spent too much time thinking that, you know, we're the neck. You know, Jesus might be the head, but we're the next best thing, you know? Right, and, uh, right. Or, or the, well sum, the sum total of what God is doing in the world is what we see around us in the North American church. Exactly. We, we often assume what we are doing or what we see going on is what God is doing in the church, and it's very far from it, isn't it? Oh, America, American Christians are by and large some of the most ignorant people, and I don't mean that heartfully. I mean lack of knowledge. They're not being taught by their leadership. They are ignorant of what is actually going on in the world. You know, every now and then, maybe a couple times a year, they get together and have the missions dinner and eat weird food. And somebody asked for money, and then they go on their way. Mm-hmm. You know, I did a huge study on North Korea. North Korea is the most hostile country to Christianity in the world. It's not Islam. It's it's humanism. Right. Secular humanism is the absolute enemy of Christ. And, uh, and, and you, you know, people are tying pages of Bibles to helium balloons and letting them float over the border just so that somebody in that country might be able to get one page of the word. You know, there, there are South Korean Christians that are going to China, China, to bust through the North Korean border through, from China where it's easier, so they get in and missionize that country. And if they're China, caught, it's a life of horror if they're caught. Absolutely. And Chinese people right now, the Chinese Christians are training and getting ready to missionize and are missionizing Islamic nation-states. Yeah. You know, I, I ran into a guy actually from Sweden who actually is running a ministry here to do just that, and we plan to have a show on that. That He said they're actually training Chinese Christians who have already been willing to endure terrible persecution and hardship and, and are teaching them how to endure torture, uh, how to be able to escape if they're being held, how to jump out a window, you know, second-story window, right. come back again preaching the gospel again. And, and right. the Lord has prepared the Chinese Christians to be able to do a job. They're almost like uh, special forces commandos yeah. that, that the rest you of know, us like, desk you jockeys know. You know, are doing. I always use a military example, uh, Mark, because um, I, I find that if we keep a military view, and, and, and I believe you've uh, read you've served some time in the military, you understand this. If you have a military view of the Army of the Lord, you know, we're deployed here. We're, we're, right. we're deployed in this area. We're citizens of heaven. We've been given a mission in hand to do, exactly. and all that matters is accomplishing the mission. If, if we right. look at issues in our church, issues between people or whatever, and we look at mission effectiveness, it will actually lead us to what we need to do. And on the pride issue, we've seen so many movies of World War II where you see these generals with these huge egos like Montgomery and and Patton and all these guys, and, and their ego battles actually impedes the field marshals and the generals from getting the job done. Yep. And it goes all the way down to the local platoon. If somebody thinks they're too good to clean the latrines or carry the machine gun or whatever, the whole mission can come to a start. You can have the best tools, equipment, overwhelming odds in your favor. It can be stopped by just some pridefulness somewhere in the chain of command. So, yeah. so that's where this, you know, really becomes real to me is when I, when I see how the in, inhibiting effects in our mission of pride. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think the 12 years I spent in the Air Force were so formative in the idea of mission for me because I looked at it differently then, and I looked at my Christianity differently then. It wasn't just some, you know, great thing to talk about and, and, and argue with other Christians about, no, no, no. And, and how, you know, if you ask most of the soldiers that go over, say, to Iraq right now, uh, not to, you know, in, insult our Iraqi brethren, but none of them want to move there. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, they're, 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 they go and they like to come back and they want to come home. And our home is heaven. And we're acting like this is the garden spot. We, it's as, almost as if Christians right. in America have forgotten we got thrown out. Like Bill Cosby blew, said, he, you know, God blew the whistle, everybody out of the pool, come on, get. And, and, and so we're not in paradise right now. And if we try to live here as if this were home, we're lost. We're, well, we're just lost. Well, it's back to the military again. You know, if, if a military, for example, back at the Battle of the Bulge time, you know, if an army's moving through and it's freezing cold outside and you, you've got the enemy to, to encounter, and you find a nice inn or a nice uh, professional man's home, and you get in there and get all cozy and warm, it feels great, you can be cozy, but you're missing where the battle is. And right. the battlefront, and you're not doing it. So if, if you're really, really comfortable and cozy, you're probably away from the battlefield, much like David was when he ran into his problem with Bathsheba. Exactly. So we, we need to really exactly. look at ourselves. If we're really comfortable, we have taken ourselves out of the action of where we need to be. If there's not a thirst, I know many Christians who, who uh, you know, really would not want to see the rapture of the church or in any way they would be taken home. They feel like their best days are right here. In fact, if you go to the self-help book, most Christian bookstores, they'll, they'll have a lot of books to help you make that experience. It's here. funny you mention that because just today I was listening to a uh, uh, one of these sort of pro-America at all costs yeah. uh, things. And a lady called in and she said, uh, well, what can I do to speed up the rapture? And the, the lady said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know, I just kind of, I just want to speed up the rapture and I don't want to be here and uh, let's just kind of get on with this thing. And I thought, boy, what a weird, what a weird sentiment. We're supposed to be here, uh, Ed, you know, to continue with the soldier analogy. We're supposed to be here right. doing this mission and she's interested in, Going home. They want to reduce their deployment time. They want to actually get yes. their commitment and be sent home. Maybe they could shoot themselves in the foot, you know, yeah. to get right. put back on. The whole uh, show was really home. weird. It was uh, in the. It was even in the context of a one-world currency, and the 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 host and the 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 speaker for that day was actually saying that it was a good thing mm-hmm. from a Christian perspective. <laughs> I, like I couldn't believe what I was hearing. You know? Well, you know, uh, yeah. if if the you know if the theoretical guy is coming knocking on our door to haul us away, and uh-huh. this is it, I, I'm hoping I, I'm swinging for the Lord when He catches me. I mean, I'm hoping right. that that it actually that I'm in the middle of a melee. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm drug out with my legs swinging and my arms swinging in the, in the Lord's work. Yeah. I'm not right. talking about a violence way, but I'm talking about not, not going away meekly or found, you know, in a spider hole like some right. guys. <laughs> you know? I, yeah. I want to I be in the middle. I want the last thing that my other brethren to see is that I was performing a Christian act at the last time they saw me. I like to tell people that when I go, I'm taking as many people with me as I can. <laughs> You're taking them all with you, huh? That's it. I mean, I'm here for the mission. Yeah. And that sense of mission like you're talking about, and, and people don't want to do it. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand that. And, and, again, it's good Bible teaching, which leads to good worldview, which then people understand what their purpose is. And that's why Americans are walking around like wind-up toys, 
that just are, you know, the eyes are glassed over and they haven't got a clue. They don't have a purpose. And the reason they don't have, and this is the Christians, they don't have a purpose is because they have not accepted the mission. And Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He was talking about his own death for the purpose, the mission that God had sent him on. And I hear people all the time say, oh, well, you know, my, it's my cross to bear. Well, that's a lie from Satan. Total, total misappropriation of the verse. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to be on my mission. And my mission is the cross so that I can save men and reconcile them back to God. That is the cross you bear. That is the only cross we bear is the cross of Christ. Mm-hmm. And people want to make it something other than that. And again, it's suffering. People don't want to deal with suffering. Mm-hmm. They want to blame God for bad things. But if you look all around you, it's bad government and bad management mm-hmm. and bad personal choices. Right. It, it, it's so easy to cook down to just nasty, stinking, rotten humanity. And, 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 they want, and they want God to stop it, right. but they don't want God to stop them from being able to fornicate. <laughs> Boy, isn't that true? So they want, sele- they want selective intervention. They want God to stop the other people doing unfortunate things to them, but the unfortunate things they do that affect other people, they don't want his action on. Oh, yeah, and America's horribly stupid about this because it's like they want to be up on the deck in the deck chairs and believe that nobody has to be in the engine room. <laughs> you know, they don't understand that everything comes with a price. And they've sold their souls out for, for, you know, we're like that church in the Revelation where he says, you think you're rich, but you're poor. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, we're, we're that broke down in this country. It's sad, but there's a remnant. There's always a remnant. And God is faithful. And I think if he brings us to that point of brokenness, when he finally says, you're naked and, 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 and you're, you know, and ashamed, look at this. Now, let me dress you in my robes. Yeah. Let me make you who you're supposed to be. And then there is no shame. You know, and I, I think it was Bonhoeffer, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but, uh, you know, the one that said, he's no fool who, oh, no, it was the missionary down in uh, uh, Central America, South America, uh, Jim, what's right. his name? Elliot, <laughs> Elliot. Yeah, Jim Elliot, who said, uh, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that's mm-hmm. how you have to look at this life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to look at it this way. And then I see less people on the, uh, in the counseling chair when they take on that part, mm-hmm. when they understand their role here that they are here to be made like Christ and to disciple other people. Jesus made it perfectly clear in the Great Commission. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom Bionic. I have to tell you, that whole point he made about the passage about confessing your sins one to another that you might be healed, mm-hmm. applying to an entire church fellowship, mm. was really, to me, something. Yeah, I, I must confess that I hadn't thought much about it. I do tend to really try and go before the Lord at least once a day and go. I'm talking about an entire group, an entity as a body. Yeah, no. Go to each other so that the group itself will be healed. Yeah. Rather than individual healing. So is it like, is it like we as a group participated in something that was messed up or? Well, you know, you just get bad stuff and vibes going on in a group, whether it's a church or a community of people. And when people start confessing their sins to each other, it can lift that whole veil off the whole community of people. Mm-hmm. Heal it. Heal mm-hmm. a church. Heal any kind of group. I'd like to see the whole church as a whole be healed that way. Yeah, that'd be cool. And maybe we need to start confessing it to each other. Yeah, there you go. Okay. All right. We uh, Speaking of confession, we need to uh, confess before Merv here that he needs to come tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E 
at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're definitely over. Come back tomorrow. That's yeah. what we'd like to hear, the last segment with Mark Bratton. Until yeah. then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, hopefully not as self-centered as I think I am bionic. Hmm, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, we're going to have our last segment here of our interview with Mr. Mark Breton, who is the founder of the Relational Discipleship and Worldview Studies Institute. Mm-hmm. and also a journalist with the Nashville Scene. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking this week, our topic has been the Evangelical Christianity on the Couch, a Spiritual and Mental Health Assessment. And we have been assessing via our trained counselor, Mark Breton, mm-hmm. and his very unique worldview about what's the, what's the beef, what's the problem with Christians we see, in yeah, the, I particularly it, America and the West today. It was very telling that he said the biggest problem today with Christianity is fake Christianity. More than the New Age movement yeah. or secular humanism or yeah, anything it's else. fake Christianity because it's, it's devoid of life change. Mm-hmm. You know? Like one of the things that I see in my in my job is these people who get healed dramatically. You know? At some point they give their life to the Lord mm-hmm. and literally, you know, they're on three different kinds of antidepressants and within a month they're they're changed and they throw all those depressants away. They're like, I don't need these. I don't need these anymore. Just totally transformational. Yeah. There's one there's one person I saw, they even walk differently. Like they come into mm. a room and they go like that sort of looks like, you know, with us and so, but it's mm. even moves differently. Yeah, totally just carry themselves in a totally different way. Totally different. Yeah, that's the power of Christ and that's the power that we want to see in mm-hmm. our lives. Yeah. And we need to facilitate an environment to encourage that. Yes. And uh, Mr. Breton is going to share with you a little bit about uh, his unique perspective based upon his extensive training and a very challenging upbringing that he had mm-hmm. that's given him a very unique perspective. And I think you're going to find it as instructive as we have. Yeah, I thought this was a really great show. And uh, so with no further ado, here's Mr. Mark Breton uh, talking about where evangelical Christianity is today from a, from a mental health standpoint. And then we'll be right back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. So you're saying soldiers aren't supposed to sit in the foxhole and be thinking about their personal problems and issues and all these other kind of things. Uh, if they're busy looking out over the edge with, with their gun sight and keeping their gun clean and doing things, that keeps them busy and activated to focus on the mission. Exactly. Hmm. It's training, it's changing, and it's going forward. And it's not as if we don't deal with real problems. Right. You know, I mean, I've got real problems I have to deal with. And, and, and we have health issues and we have everything, but, but there's nothing, nothing compared to the life of Christ. Nothing that is compared to being in Christ and understanding who you really are. But the problem, if you really understand who you are, then, then it's, it's not an issue. But the problems so people are, don't want that. The problems are dealt with, though, in as much as they impact your ability to accomplish your mission. 
In other exactly. words, a soldier, if, if he's got a bad leg, he's got to go to sick bay because it will affect his ability to fight and run out of the exactly. league. And so if we keep that in perspective, we realize we're the Lord's property. We gave our, our life over to him and that we need to keep everything ticking, relationship, mental health-wise and otherwise, for our effectiveness for other people, for his work. Oh, yeah. When I, when I was in the military, everybody learned uh, combat first aid. Mm-hmm. All of us. Okay. I learned how to uh, – so that's my cell phone clicking. I learned how to help people that were blown up. Mm-hmm. And we have to be that for each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good that we have specialists and people like pastors, teachers, and evangelists, people who have – that special gifting to do that thing, but everybody has been gifted by the Holy Spirit. But every one of us knows how to bind wounds. So we're battlefield medics, in other words. Exactly. And so at the point of conflict, we engage each other in the reality of our faith in God, and and we move forward from there, and we continue on in the mission of Christ. See, because when we love each other, other people see it. People don't want to go to church today. The youth of America does not want to go to church today because Christians hate each other, and they hate them. And I don't want to be around anybody that hates anybody. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth of it. I go online. I, this book I'm writing, and I'm going to pitch another thing here. I'm writing a book that goes along with workshops called Disciple, Living Christianity in Modern America. And the first chapter is called One Thread. And I found one thread that was based on a story that was uh, Evangelical Baptist. The Southern Baptist Convention said, we are going to emphasize evangelism this year. And the very first thread was, great, just what we need. And it was, of course, somebody, you know, a secular person writing. You know, they've been bad enough. Can't they just alone? And, and, you know, back in the day, who did the the drug addicts and the alcoholics and the homeless and and the poor and the broken, and, and the miserable go-to. I've seen so many movies, black and white, you know, when people hit the skids, they immediately looked up. And now mm-hmm. people hate God because his church is hateful. Mm-hmm. We don't look any different than all of the other smug people in the world. And there, there's no salt there. And how does, a, you know, and it's like Jesus said, when a salt lost its saltiness, how is it made salty again? Mm-hmm. Well, let, let, let me ask you about, uh, we're, we're, in, we're in the last portion of our show here, and I want to look toward the future. But, but, but looking from today toward the future, what current substitutes to the Christian worldview do you think pose the most dangerous threat to the worldview of the church today in terms of you know, capturing the hearts of the public and influencing the public discourse and, and our convictions and values as a people? Uh What's our competitor that, to the Christian worldview? Major one. Fake Christianity. I think fake Christianity is the worst thing going. Wow. Uh, it's the, I, I think Don't it's hold back. Tell, that, it, tell, <laughs> it, tell us how you really feel. Uh, fake Christianity is the soul killer. Yeah. It's uh, the thing that makes people think they're well and they're not. It's the thing that is slaying this nation as, as, as in the Christian soul. It's the thing that's beating us down. Right on, it's the Mark. place. It's it's where the gangrene is. It's fake Christianity, hypocrisy, and the world sees that hypocrisy and they hate us for it. And I write in the threads, why do you try to hold me accountable to a system that you hold in utter contempt? But that makes too much sense. All they see is hypocrisy and they hate us for it. And so what happens is the children grow up in the home where the parents are claiming Christianity, like my mom did, 
who could hold a phone and talk nicely to somebody and, and, and be holding me by, up by my hair at the same time. So while she's spreading sugar on the phone, she's pulling my hair out. And that's what I grew up with. So as a church, so, body, as a church body as a whole, do you see we do, metaphorically do the same thing? We do these kind of things. You know, I wonder, I don't know what your position is about torture, but I, I see in some of these Christian shows people just giggle with glee in defending torture, mm -hmm. while at the same time we want to be gentle and teach humility uh, all the right. time. Yeah, it's, to me it's, a, you know, I, I think of the death penalty. I see so many conservative political Christians, conservative Christians, that are all hopped up on the death penalty and that whole idea of justice when we're all like the servant who just got forgiven a debt we could never pay, and we go beat somebody to get theirs. And it's like I tell people I don't support the death penalty, and I have a lot of conservative Christian friends that look at me kind of odd then. And I say, well, it's really hard to evangelize somebody when you're about to kill them. And, uh, and that's and to particularly me different. The, the day afterwards, it's even harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, you know, last rites, but I'm not Catholic right. or not anymore. So, um, but the thing I'm driving at is, is people rejoice in vindictiveness. They rejoice in it. I, I've seen on the news this morning, I got up and I saw, uh, that another minority person had killed another person that wasn't, you know, a minority in this, this conflict in East Nashville. And this is happening all the time, or down in Smyrna or whatever. In this area, we have pressure. We have people who who feel like it's completely and utterly legitimate for them to simply take at the point of a gun. And I think that's indicative of society at large. People, this is if in, in this book I'm writing, one of the things I'm going to talk about is the get mine society that we live in. And the Christians are doing the very same thing. And that's why we are no we we are no substitute for what the world has, as long as we follow that get mine theology, that get mine thought process. If I'm going to get mine here and I'm going to get it now, and if it means I take it from you, too bad, because I get mine. Hmm. And, well, and and it's it's just, it's killing us. Well, that, you know, hair, so that people, hair, hair of the head principle, what 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 about, uh, don't we have all those Islamic fascists that want to kill us, and don't you think we better kill them before they kill us? That's what I hear on uh, Christian radio most of the time. Yeah, and it's a lie. It's a lie. We're supposed to be getting those people saved. You know, the easiest way to keep someone from killing you is make them a brother. Hmm. You know, if I, get the, if I evangelize those people, if I can show them the love of Christ, and, and you know what, I might die for it, but then the next bunch of me that comes along that feeds their children and builds their school and builds their hospital and meets their needs, it doesn't try to take from them, but just totally and completely unselfishly meets their needs, they will see the kindness of Christ in that, and then they will respond to it. You mean we they can't, can't evangelize by, by bombing their villages? That's not I want to evangelize means. with my M16. Yeah, I don't know about you guys. Evangelizing. <laughs> you know, I remember the story in the Old Testament, and, and I might have the characters oh, wrong. I believe it involves Elisha uh, and Sennacherib's army, I believe, where an army uh -huh. was sent to, uh, to get him. And if I remember right... Uh, he saw the Lord's army surrounded them, uh, yeah. and it wasn't like he, he had the uh, Israeli army come up there and, and to confound him. He knew there was a spiritual army that was dictating what was going on, and once they were aware of it, they were terrified. Or he, he Actually, I guess they were, they were blinded at the time, and they were mm -hmm. led in to where the Israeli army was, and suddenly they were aware that they were surrounded by the army, and they, they were terrified that they were going to be killed. 
And, and the prophet said, no, send them down, feed them, give them a meal, and send them home. And it says they were never attacked again for, right. you know, for generations that way. Right. Well, wait a minute. But that's not what you hear every time. I'm I'm sticking by what yeah. I what you're not I heard on, you're not used to hearing that on Christian radio. I'm sticking by hear, what, what I heard on Christian <laughs> radio. I got my M16 and I got my that's F16 it. for for Jesus. Yeah, I, here, I, I'm 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 going to let people totally geek out um here for a second. Uh some of my favorite books on government uh is Starship Troopers by Heinlein and uh, and the other is the the books by uh, uh Frank Herbert, All the Dunes, the mm-hmm. Dune books. And there's a, uh, we're talking about how Christian radio pushes this and Christian publications push this. Mm-hmm. And there's a quote from, uh, Leto, who's one of the main characters in this, uh, and from Children of Dune, and he says, the easiest way to hide a secret is to make people think that they already have the answer. Interesting. Interesting. And, and that's what we've got. And that's what we've got going on, uh, at every level. You know, you guys spend so much time, because I listen to the show, uh, I download it on iTunes, and you guys spend so much time peeling back the layers. And the thing is, is there's so many Christians that don't even want to look at it because they think they already know. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, the stuff I've learned from your show is um, is blown my mind. And what it has done is it's reintroduced to the church that we are in spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. There is an enemy out there that cannot win. He's read the end of the book. He knows it. So he's going to do everything he can to kill us and keep us from God. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is his sole objective. And mm-hmm. until Christians understand the, the bloodthirsty, cold-hearted hatred that this enemy has for us, if I knew that guy was standing outside my door, I would be geared to the teeth, and every bolt would be thrown. Mm-hmm. I'm not letting him in, right? But yeah. we got Satan into our midst every day. Uh-huh. We let him into our body of, of Christ by lying about what we do, who we are, and what we want. We let him into our government by lying about what government's role really ought to be. Right. Yeah. I mean, every level of this is driven by spiritual warfare. Nothing happens. Because Paul said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's how we're able to evangelize, because we know that that person's not the enemy. It's Satan behind everything that's going on that drives that person in that philosophy. Uh-huh. And so that's what we need to attack. And the only way you can get after that is with the truth. Mm-hmm. And the truth is the absolute of God's Word. That's, that's very the thing interesting. The is when you reveal that, then you love those people because you understand that they're just unwitting tools in a war between the people of God and the enemy of God. That's right. I heard a, I heard a South American witch doctor yesterday say the exact same thing. You hang out with a lot of witch doctors? Well, you know, I mean, you got somebody's got to evangelize. Them. Okay, well, good. Okay. Um, he said he was he had he had come to he had come to the Lord, and uh, he'd been trained as a witch doctor from a young child. And uh, somebody uh, somebody asked him at this panel session. Somebody asked him. He said, "Well, uh, what is the what have the spirits said to you lately, or before you became a Christian? What did the spirits say to you?" And he said, "Well." They had finished teaching us here, and they were now, this was in the 50s, they had finished teaching us, and they were now going to America to lie to the American people and to teach them teach them lies, uh, to keep them from being spiritually mm. sound. Mm. And it's like, and when I heard that, I thought, wow, boy, uh, this guy, here it is from a, a South American witch doctor who has no, mm-hmm. you know, the exact same, the exact same thing. People, they don't, they don't. You you talk to most Christians, they start, you know, about spiritual warfare. They start zoning out and they get all weird and, 
You know, that doesn't really exist. I want to go read the shack. Mm -hmm. you know? But yet they believe supernaturally. <laughs> they they believe. Did I say that? <laughs> they believe. They believe in the resurrection, or at least they yeah, hope to. It makes yeah, you wonder totally. if they do, because they deny. It's, it's what Dr. Michael Heiser said last week on our show called selective uh, supernaturalism. You got to take the whole. You got to take the whole enchilada, mm -hmm. or or not. Well, you know what you, what yeah. you're what yeah. you're saying, uh, Brother Mark, is that if I understand you right, when I ask you about what was the threat to the true Christian worldview, and you mentioned this false, false fake Christianity. That leads me to believe that the adversary then is having a role yeah. directly. Even though there may be some deluded people in there that are well-meaning, that the adversary has an active role in it. And it made me think of something like a Tokyo Rose. who would get on the radio and say these kind of things to distract, demean, uh, take the focus of the troops you know, away from the mission that they had. Is that basically right. what's happened to the church, is that they've listened oh, to Tokyo Roses? Oh, sure. If you look at the different kinds of theologies that have emerged, you look at liberation theology is, is full of hate and retribution because that already feeds an energy system that exists, hmm. a group of people that have been oppressed and already have that in their hearts. So, the, so Tokyo Rose plays to that. And then you look at, that at say, uh, Middle America you know, that is buying into some concept of the American dream, how that homeownership ever became that. I don't know, but that was great marketing because mm -hmm. it's lasted forever. Right. But, uh, somebody but made you, need a dollar. Have, yeah. you need to have material possessions, clean, nice, new car, this and this and that, or, or all these different things to, to be good. And then we have the intellectuals who say, well, you've got to go to this school and you have to have this degree and you have to think this way. And, and, and behind them all, Behind every one of these, feeding into these energy systems which propel themselves is a lie that Satan perpetrates, and that is that Jesus is not the answer. You have the answer inside of you, and Jesus is getting in the way of that because he wants to take it away from you. Mm -hmm. And then you'll lose your identity if you follow Christ. You won't yeah. get to have this. Yeah, you won't get point. to have this. And, and, and so what happens is, is Christians have to get to the point where they're like, this, this is a dung heap, like Paul said. Yeah. This is a dung heap. I'm not going to sit on a dung heap. I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm an easygoing guy, but I'm not. that's not what I'm interested in. I'm not going to sit there and do that. And so if I cannot count it all as loss for the sake of the cross, then I'm, I'm shackled down. And each one of these things are, are shackles that we choose to put on ourselves. And so then we choose to take them off. We ask the Lord to reveal it to us in humility. We say, Lord, show me where I am still chained to this world. And then every chance we get, we, we unbuckle the chain. We unshackle ourselves, and we move out into the light. And then other people see us be free, and they go, I'm miserable shackled to this. How do I be free? And right. Satanists keep trying to tell them they, they cannot be a person. They cannot have the identity that they desire unless they are shackled to these things. Mm -hmm. And it's death. It's death. Well, and some and of it's these the lie that we're told all the time. Some of these may be gilded cages. And we notice mm. the gold, but we don't realize they're cages that they're in. And it takes oh, the yeah. Holy Spirit to recognize that. You know, we're in the last four minutes of our show. So mm -hmm. can you, and I, and I want to wrap up finding out a little bit about what you're doing uh, newspaper-wise and, and, and contacting. Can you give us a little one-minute um, summary of a plan of attack, what we can as individuals and as a church do in one minute? In 30 seconds, to solve all our problems. To solve, <laughs> yeah, to, to begin the process of healing and where we need to be. 
if you, you have to get into the Word. You have to believe from the get-go that the Word of God as, and Jesus, as He has revealed Himself to us, is the absolute truth. Mm-hmm. If you are not built on that foundation, you will never find a true sense of yourself, and therefore you will never be able to operate in this world as you were meant to operate in this world. Uh, secondly, uh, that worldview then has to dictate every other area of your life. So it dictates your identity, it dictates your relationships, it, it, it dictates your values and beliefs. And everything comes off of that worldview that you are identified with Christ. Everything else spreads from that. Uh, I, I write for the Nashville scene. I'm a freelance writer, and uh, I'm the only Christian conservative writer there. I've gotten out of politics, and uh, the Lord gave me this opportunity through a letter I wrote that has to do with the, uh, the, the teabag thing. Uh, I wrote, and I thought that the teabag was a bad analogy because we have representation. They just won't do what we want. So I, I just so I wrote them, you know, something, you know, fun, and they hired me to write as a conservative. And so what I do, rather than being a hard-nosed, conservative, mean person, you know, this mean-spirited guy, I'm a teacher. And I try to show them that there are people out there that think about what they say. I don't just buy off on the standard Christian conservative line, you know, that hate the president and hate this and hate that. I don't hate anybody. I want to see people grow in grace and love. And you're immersed and liberal, in a you're immersed in a group of people who respond to you that are they're very much against evangelicalism. You're not hanging out with your peers. You're out there oh, no. with people who totally strongly disagree with what you are. Yeah, and when my first article started showing up, people were like, "What is this? When did the scene start espousing evangelical views?" <laughs> and of course, the editor has to step up and say, "Well, we we don't really do that. He just writes here, yeah. you know." And I'm out there, and they're they're mean, right. you know. And yeah. but I love it, right? Because people don't challenge things that don't challenge them, right? And they can't get you to fit in the box either. That's the great thing. T- no. Tell tell our listeners how they can can they find that online? Is there a way either they can pick up the Nashville Scene paper or online? Tell yeah. them how they can get to your stuff to read it. Almost all my content. Uh, to this point is online because uh, the paper can't afford to print a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And if you go to NashvilleScene.com uh, and then put my name, B-R-E-T-O-N, in the search, you'll see my articles come up, and you can read the threads that follow. They're <laughs> they're fascinating. Yeah, um, no I can't I can't recommend it to younger younger viewers. Right. Um, and then also uh, I'm I'm out on Facebook. Mark Breton, I'll, I'll be friends with anybody. If you want to hear uh, my B- blogs... B-R-E-T-O-N. Yes. Okay. If you want to uh, see some of my other blogs and uh, philosophical musings, you can get to me at MySpace. It's uh, www.myspace.com. And then Mark Breton, all one word. And also, I'm revamping my site. Uh, it's markbreton.com. And uh, you'll be able to then link off of that to Dr. Future and a lot of other places that Wonderful. I find very useful. Wonderful. And, cool. and your new uh, initiate institute, uh, will it be uploaded with a new place too, new portal? As, yeah, as fast as I can get it done. You know, I got Merv's got to give me some artwork. So okay. But uh, <laughs> but no, it's uh, it's and and then that one will you'll be able to link off of my mm-hmm. my my homepage, and I'll put links out everywhere, right. and I'll give one to Doctor Future to throw up, and mm-hmm. uh, it'll it'll be artistsy.org and. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, and, pe- and I, yeah, people can read your your blogs and learn the same kind of great mind blowing information they just got here, mm-hmm. without getting the same old trite answers from people. They can send other people to read your stuff, 
And I want to tell our, we, we have a lot of new listeners this week. You've come at a time where we had a major media event that brought huge numbers of people, many of which who aren't Christians or have not been exposed otherwise to what we have. And so now the, maybe their first taste of evangelical Christianity or what we are is what you just said tonight. And I, I feel that was fortuitous yeah. that uh, the Lord sent you to be a, sort of a bridge <laughs> yeah, of course. for well, people to see that there's people who think a little bit differently with, within the body. I so appreciate the venue and the and the opportunity to, to to say my piece. And if I could say one last parting thing, love each other. Just love each other with authenticity. The rest will come. Seek first the kingdom and love each other. And you'll come back when you've got your book ready. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Brother Mark, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being the unique person you are and uh, reaching the people in a unique way. And uh the fruit that's coming out of what you're building is going to be amazing, and uh, you're going to have a whole new battlefront that you've already started here of love to actually win your enemies over and to restore and redeem them through the power of Christ, and it's exciting to see what's going to help come from that. So please come back again soon and see us, all right? Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you again, and thanks for joining us. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom bringing uh, social faux pas to a high art form bionic. Would you explain that again, these enigmas? Uh, it was a social faux pas, but I do it so often that I've actually raised it to sort of... You, you mean about your early comments on the yes, show? Yes, like Rorschach blots. Well, or, we, you know, we pre-record the shows here. and Call me, uh, call me Jackson, the Jackson Pollock of the screw-up. We try not to comment <laughs> on a segment of the show until after it's aired and just did a little bit earlier, and it's no big deal. I'm a big Picasso when it comes we to... We do worse stuff than that. I know I do. But, but I'll tell you, the, the good thing about our show up. are people like Mr. Breton, mm -hmm. who come on, who have such a instructive view, at least what we feel. Mm -hmm. We'd like to know what our listeners think about it, yeah. and if they find it as instructive as we think it is. I thought he was really good. I thought this was a great, great show. Well, I, I, th I think it's very, very important for... The message he gives, even though he has been trained in all the nuances of counseling, uh, highly skilled, working his doctoral level in this area, uh, it still comes back to uh, humility, submitting to Christ, and taking a Christian life. You know, for all of the fancy words and psychology you could use, mm -hmm. he's really old school in that respect. Yeah, no. Well, uh, it, that's the whole point, you know. Mm -hmm. It, whether you're, whether or not you have altar calls or however you show your humility, the whole point is, you know, to be, to be nothing, and to, you know, Christ to be huge, to be life. free, just to follow Christ. Yeah, don't you have know, any other pretense. What was just it? I think empty yourself for him. What was it? Spurgeon wrote, "You think you're half inch tall? You're too tall. You need to be nothing." <laughs> that's pretty interesting. I yeah, like that. That's I like well, that. Spurgeon for you, you know. Yeah. Well, speaking uh, for tall, here's uh, Bill Dad the shoe height, <laughs> a friend of Job and friend of the show, Merv, who's going to tell you how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. 
Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, it's the end of another road. All right, let's do it. We uh, ready to let's get out. Okay. Get out of here. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's wonderful to be with you this week. We've got to go. Tomorrow is tomorrow's tremors. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Sayonara. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Friday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, a fan of the Putang Bionic. You always bring up something that no one knows about that was a pre-show studio discussion. Well, no, not all the time. Sometimes it is foreshadowing Uh to what's going on in the episode. Okay. Well, how about foreshadowing our audience what Friday means on Future Quake? Friday is the day that I... Starts with a T. Trash day? Our listeners are out there going, please, please get it right. They're shaking their radios right now in their computers. Tomorrow's Tremors or today's review oh, of the yeah, Future's yeah. And that News. Thing, that thing, too. Yes. Yeah. I feel like Daffy Duck on, or no, Donald Duck. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is when we do a review of the news for the week after having a wonderful, serious guest on yeah, uh, during the week. Yeah. And we had uh, our uh, friend Mark Breton yeah. on. Uh, give us a mental health assessment of all of us evangelicals. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, there's something that happens each time we get on here each week. I, I mean, I learn something new, but mm-hmm. when we have these people who really talk about uh, core ideas and stuff, as, as sort of Mark Breton uh, ended up doing, you know, really the right. core beliefs and stuff, right. it really ends up sort of touching my heart a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I felt about that. It In really other words, was... even though we're supposed to be a cutting-edge show, having all these cutting-edge, edgy ideas, going back to the fundamentals and foundational stuff still packs a punch. Oh, totally. Well, totally. You know, one thing we can say, at least we have some very interesting people that come in to do that job. This is true. I think. I'm not speaking about ourselves, but I'm talking about some guests. Mm-hmm. At least that's what our listeners say. And I want to say hey to our listeners out there. I'm trying to start to uh, chip away at some of the emails I've been getting. Like I said, I read all of them and uh, use a lot of advice that you all send. And in fact, a number of people who've sent uh, are, are becoming guests coming yeah. up. One of them we have next week is going to be really fascinating. Oh, Actually, looking... the week after next. The one next week is one that our listeners have been requesting from us. Uh, Mr. Jeff Rett from Look yeah. Up Fellowship. Yeah, I was listening to some of his his stuff just last night. Really? Yeah. yeah oh, you, know. you know he's co-hosting the big finale now with Bruce Collins. Oh, really? Yeah, he's been asked to be a like alternating host on oh, there, which wow. is a pretty big show. Yeah, it's it's about as old as our show is. Well, he's got that. He does a show on uh, Revelations Radio Network as well. Oh, okay. And I was listening to him do okay. his thing. Well, he, oh, he his blog is such an incredible fount of information. Very well done, isn't it? Intriguing and, and just lots of massive mm-hmm. information. And uh, he's going to have his inaugural visit with us uh, mm-hmm. next week. Right. And I understand you've been gallivanting around on some shows lately. Well, a little bit. I mean, it's not like a coast-to-coast thing, but... Uh. <laughs> hey, hey again to all of our new listeners that came via coast-to-coast. Yeah. Thanks for your kind words in the email. Thanks for sticking around. Yeah, we and, appreciate uh, it. 
I think if you look through our archives, you sort of see the kind of uh, clientele we have here. Yeah. And we'll have more great guests in the future. So thanks for being here. Yeah. But you are going to be, or have been. Well, I'm going to be, uh, at, at the time of this broadcast, I'll have actually been a guest over on fuzzyradio.com. Really? So, so how did it go? Um, very well. Did it? Exceptional. It was, it was exceptional. the best well. thing ever. Really? It was like footprints in the sand. People just tears were flowing down their face. Yeah. Another another chorus of, you know. People filled out the streets that night that it was originally aired, right? Yeah, it was instead of, instead of uh, uh, you know, protesting, people got signs uh-huh. that said Tom Bionic for president. And Did they? The that's an amazing thing. Yeah. You know, At least that's what I heard from up there in Canada. Yeah. That's well, like, ladies and gentlemen, you all can check that out for yourself. <laughs> check out Fuzzy Radio. I assume it will be archived at the time yes, they're listening by the, to our by show. By the time right that now. it'll be, it'll be. Uh, by the time of this airing, it should be archived. I okay. think. Okay. And you're you're getting around. Your your oh your, come now. Your Bible study is taken off there on Revelations Radio Network. It is. It is indeed. Now on that network, folks, if you go to RevelationsRadioNetwork.com or even go on iTunes. They only have something like 20-something different shows on there, including mm-hmm. Future Quake. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that will keep you listened up for a week until the following week. Yeah, there's about 24 hours of, sh- of show listening there. You could put it on your iPod each week and just melt your brain with wow. the gospel and, and everything else. It's becoming like a black hole in that there's some other folks and people we know that would be popping up on there and having all sorts so. of new stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to make any... you guys like Russ, Russ Dizdar and yeah. people like that on there. I mean, it's fantastic. His his shows, you know, he does those those teaching videos. I don't know if you or those teaching DVDs. He's got these mm-hmm. teaching courses, and uh, I've acquired a few of them, and they're very good. Really? Yeah, okay. very good. Well, I guess we better get on with our discussion here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that you and I fought over doing. You want to go on and do that one first? Yeah, let's do that one. Do that one first. All right. All right. <clears throat> this one came from the nation for me. Uh, did it come from the nation when you when you did it? Too? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if you if you choose to read it, you're responsible for finding out the reference. Well, I, I well, it came from the nation. I'm just wondering if maybe you got it from somewhere different. No, I think it's the same thing. Okay. Uh, and I've I've truncated that was a few just little sour grapes because you got to do the story. This is a good one, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you better jump into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, a former Blackwater employee and ex-U.S. Marine who has worked as a security operative for the company. Uh, uh, Blackwater, a former Blackwater employee and ex-U.S. Marine who has worked as a security oper- operative for the company, uh, has made a series of explosive allegations and sworn statements filed on August 3rd in federal court in Virginia. The two men claim that the company's owner, Eric Prince, may have murdered or facilitated the murder of individuals who were cooperating with federal authorities investigating the company. Okay. Wow. The head of Blackwater went and had these people killed because they were squealing on the yes. company. Now, you know what? This is a weird... Talk about foreshadowing. The the 24 t- TV show had an exact kind of storyline like this with mm-hmm. a Blackwater company and that guy was killing off some people who was squealing on them yes. on setting up their own army and stuff. Mm-hmm. And John Voight, actually, the you know Angelina Jolie's dad in her life, Can't trust played, him. That, played that guy. Yeah. He actually Never even took him. one of the executives and threw him over a railing to his death. Wow. I wonder if Eric Prince... Did that. Maybe that's where they got that idea from maybe. on the TV show. Maybe, anyway. maybe Eric Prince watched the TV show and said, "You know, maybe that's an idea." Yeah. Hmm. Proceed. Yeah. Uh, the former employee also alleges that Prince views himself as a Christian crusader tasked with eliminating Muslims and the Islamic faith, faith from the globe, and that Prince's companies encouraged and rewarded the destru- destruction of Iraqi life. So basically, he's a dominionist. Yes. He not be- basically. 
He would be their poster boy. Yeah, he would be their action officer, sort of the brown shirt mm-hmm. of dominionism that the Christians are going to take yeah, over by force. We've got to kill, kill the Heidman. Muslims, yeah. uh, anybody of other cultures in general, even if you don't have time to separate them out. Yes. Just kill them preemptively yes. in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. We're going to spread mm-hmm. the gospel with an M16. Okay. Now, so so this would be consistent with what the dominionists teach about when they say occupy to I come. Yeah. And he is an official occupying army mm-hmm. of the occupation force that they're talking about, where they go in and occupy and clear out the non-Christians yep. and terrorize them to get rid of them. And blow them up and okay. cut them into pieces and take them to, to the dark prison okay. in Poland. So, and so he's basically taken their teaching and put feet and just on applied it. it. Now, yes. these are allegations. We've got to be careful. These are You're allegations, right. but they've come out many times before. We've had a lot of things on the news about Blackwater. This is the latest, but this is sworn affidavit under threat of perjury from multiple people about yes. this. Okay. Yes, yes. Uh, and former employees. Right. Um, uh, and it gets more interesting. The private security company facing charges in a U.S. court for killing and injuring Iraqis. Uh, he's, he says, uh, the, this gentleman says that uh, uh, he's attempting to silence their victims and the lawyers. Uh, according in, according uh, to his testimony, both testimonies, uh, both men also alleged that Blackwater was smuggling weapons into Iraq. Uh, one of them alleges that the prince that prince turned a profit by transporting illegal or unlawful weapons into the country on Prince's private planes. They also charged that Prince and other Blackwater executives destroyed incriminating videos, emails, and other documents, and have intentionally deceived the U.S. State Department and other federal agencies. The identities of the two individuals were sealed out of concerns for their safeties. These allegations and a series of other charges are contained in, a sworn, af- in sworn affidavits given under the penalty of perjury filed late at night on August 3rd in the Eastern District of Virginia as part of a 70-page 70, motion by lawyers for Iraqi civilians suing Blackwater for alleged war crimes and other misconduct. Susan Burke, a private attorney working in conjunction with the Center for Constitutional Rights, is suing Blackwater in five separate civil cases filed in the Washington, D.C. area. They were recently consolidated before Judge T.S. Ellis III of the Eastern District of Virginia for pre-trial motions. Uh, Burke filed, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Let's go to get to to some more meat here. Uh, In a a separate sworn statement, the former U.S. Marine who worked for Blackwater in Alaska in, in Iraq alleges that he has learned from my Blackwater colleagues and former colleagues that one or more persons who have provided information or who were planning to provide information about Air Prince and Blackwater have been killed in suspicious circumstances. Uh, identified as John Doe number 1, he says he joined Blackwater and deployed to Iraq to guard State Department and other American government personnel. It's still not clear if Doe number 1 is still working with the company, although I would doubt that. Yeah, I doubt it. Uh, he is scheduled to deploy in the immediate future to Iraq. Uh, like Doe number two, he states that he fears violence against him for submitting this declaration. Uh, it's also obviously still pending investigation. Um, Doe number two states in his declaration that he has also provided that he has also provided the information contained in a statement uh, in grand jury proceedings convened by the United States Department of Justice. Uh, which is interesting because federal prosecutors convened a grand jury in the aftermath of the September 16, 2007, Nicer Square shootings in Baghdad, which left 17 Iraqis dead. 
Uh, and there's five Blackwater employees that are awaiting trial on manslaughter charges. And uh, uh, one gentleman, Jeremy, one Jeremy Ridgway, has already pleaded guilty to manslaughter, attempting to co- and uh, guilty to manslaughter mm-hmm. and attempt to commit la- manslaughter, and is cooperating with the prosecutors. Yeah, he also they also. Did, maybe I missed you saying this. They also put guns in dog food bags and things like that too. Um, I don't know that to okay. be the case. That might be in your article. Okay, that's my understanding. Okay, was that they actually put it in dog food bags and that's how they? Well, they definitely, they they definitely, according to the article, they definitely smuggled weapons in illegally on Eric Prince's private airplanes uh, to try and turn a a, a a tidy profit. Right. Well, that's that's my understanding. Is that basically anything went with this group? Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, of course, he, they've changed the name of the company to XE Services LLC. Did you? I don't know if you were yeah, I, aware of that. I, I yeah, I, I did get that. Yeah. Uh, interesting here, according according to the article, uh, Mr. Prince intentionally deployed to Iraq certain men who shared his vision of Christian supremacy. Knowing and wanting these men to take every available opportunity to murder Iraqis, many of these men used call signs based on the Knights of Templar, the warriors who fought the Crusades and did a whole lot of other Mm -hmm. interesting things. Mr. Prince operated his companies in a manner that encouraged and rewarded the destruction of Iraqi life. Now, if 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 the Muslims who see us Christians as on a perpetual crusade from back the day of the Crusades when we came in to kick them out of the Holy Land and stuff, Mm -hmm. if they hear... Crusader type names being used for these guys out in the field while they're shooting guns. What are they going to think about America? Yeah. What does that reinforce in terms of what they think America is? Well, according to one statement, one uh, one sworn statement, Mr. Prince's executives would openly speak about going over to Iraq uh, to lay Hajis out on the cardboard, quote unquote. Uh, it, it just yeah yeah. They just, they said they uh, yep oh they, yeah here's the thing they about the dog food bags Iraq to kill ragheads mm-hmm. our chief kills are body counts as well as excessive drinking and steroid use mm-hmm. and then they would uh, uh, they Prince ignored the advice and pleas from certain employees to stop the unnecessary killing of innocent Iraqis um, that some Blackwater officials overseas refused to deploy unfit men um, and sent them back to the U S. So. Yeah. Well, uh, Doe number two states here that using his various companies, Prince procured and distributed various weapons, including unlawful weapons, uh, sawed-off semi-automatic machine guns with silencers, and that he was not abiding by the terms of the contract with the State Department and was actively deceiving the State Department. Doe number two also says uh, that Prince repeatedly ignored the assessments done by mental health professionals and instead terminated those mental health professionals who were not willing to endorse deployments of unfit men. Uh, right. He hid, they, they hid people from the State Department. And it just goes on right, and on. It's right. terrible. Right. It's just and terrible. that's the tip of the iceberg. That's just what we've heard so far. We could spend the whole now, the whole news story. Now, on those this, are just allegations. Yes. They've got to be proven in court. But these guys have stepped forward, and I'm sure under advice of attorneys, have made sworn affidavits for a court trial that are under threat of perjury. If uh, if they found to be lying, then they're in big trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm assuming there's some gravity to their accusations from yeah. multiple witnesses. Sure. Well, uh, again, according to John Doe number two, uh, Mr. Prince uh, 
actively was in, engaged in money laundering. Uh, for instance, uh, Mr. Prince would transfer money from one company, Blackwater, to another, Greystone, uh, whenever necessary to avoid detection of his money laundering and tax evasion schemes and to deceive that, to deceive the State Department. Um, it's just... Uh, but now, if I understand this right, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, they, they were awarded this stuff through the Bush administration. Yes. And I assume they still have some role through the Obama administration, too. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Dennis... I'm not quite sure where they are right now but on their status, but I assume I this crosses administrations. Well, certainly. I would, I would absolutely imagine that um, to be the case. One of the things that I think is really scary is that this just, they're basically, they are the law now, essentially, in Iraq. Mm-hmm. You know, they can make and break and, and do whatever they want if these allegations are true, or have been up until this time, and the, mm-hmm. the letter of the law both international and our constitution and all these other things have mm-hmm. been violated, <clears throat> which is especially scary given the, you know, given all the things that we've reviewed last week about the um, Go Army wanting to recruit, uh, what was it, civilian right. internment specialists or something? Right. Well, on, who do you want to have you, a private Blackwater who's doing this stuff or, or government guys that are doing Abu Ghraib? Pick your choice. How about I just have... Um, now, there's one. There's lots of wonderful military people out there. I, I know a lot of them been around them, mm-hmm. not implicating everybody. No, and but it's there is a the, systemic it, problem. Sure. Well, it's 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 almost never the people out there whose boots are in the dust. Those guys are just trying to do whatever they have to do and live by a code right. of honor. I think, by and mm-hmm. large, but it's the uh, the well, executive who that there are there is also a mixture though of some who are. And it only takes a few, a few in a group that are out there looking to kick some folk around because they don't get to do it here in, in the U.S. So now they, they're given a gun and they're given some authority. You know, they'd get beat up if they did it here. So they, they're sitting over there interspersed with a bunch of wonderful people. And then we get things like the May Lie Massacre. We get these other things that, as ra- being raised a, a conservative Christian background, we didn't want to talk about those things growing up. Well, I didn't want to. I didn't. I wanted to focus on all the positive attributes which are there. Mm-hmm. But our enemies don't have to focus on the positive. They look no. at that and they make a lot of hay off of it. Well, and I think this this speaks to a very interesting, uh, interesting idea uh, that was I was turned on to very early in my Christian walk was the idea of real evil. Uh, and how it manifests itself and uh, infiltrates organizations, very much like mm-hmm. the leaving in the dough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would definitely say if these allegations with uh, Mr. Prince and Blackwater are true, mm-hmm. uh, there's definitely they were definitely the leaving. And well, I just can't imagine that people at upper levels of the government were totally caught off guard with these allegations. No, they are. That that's crazy talk. Well, and these people will be. Also picked to help guard the camps that are here. Yes. And if they go after other people like that, if they see you or I are doing something that they that they consider unpatriotic, what are they going to do to us? Well, gosh, we could riff on and on about this. Uh, and I don't want to, but yeah, just food for thought. What do you got? You know, we what may be got? we may be preaching to the choir here. Yeah. Um. Well, a similar vein, if you don't mind. Great. Uh, we, we had a show recently on CIA renditions where they just pick up people and haul them off. Uh-huh. Uh, here's one related to this just happened that's come out from the Guardian, uh, major newspaper in the UK. Uh, secrets of CIA ghost flights to be revealed. 
confidential oh. documents showing the flight plans of a CIA ghost plane allegedly used to transfer a British resident to secret interrogation sites around the world are to be made public. The move comes after a Sussex-based company accused of involvement in extraordinary rendition dropped its opposition to a case against it being heard in court. Now, this is a living embodiment of what Trevor Paglin talked about a few weeks ago on our show. Yes. Okay, lawyers bringing the case against Jeppesen, UK, on behalf of the Guantanamo Bay detainee, Binyam Mohammed, claimed last night the climb down had wide-ranging legal implications that could help expose which countries and governments knew the CIA was using their air bases to spirit terrorist suspects around the world. Uh, you know, it's funny. I read these things, and this kind of stuff used to just be read on far left-wing radio. And I come from a very conservative background. Me too. But but this kind of stuff is important. I don't care what your background is, and if it isn't important to you, you need to look in the mirror at yourself. Why why don't you care about this? No kidding. Um, I'm so tired, man. I am. Pardon me for ranting here for a second, but I'm just so tired of people who call themselves Christians who ignore the whole idea of loving people and uh, codify every single thing about us and them. I realize in today's society that it's an easy it's an easy right. mindset to fall into. It's a cold war mindset. But we've I'm, had several generations of that. I'm just I'm over it, man. Mm-hmm. I am so over it. Well, okay. Us may rant be, off. Well, them may be the people in power. <laughs> Regardless of where they're from, and then the us is the rest of us, yes. you know? Yeah. That may be the reality. Okay, it says Jeppesen UK, uh, a wholly owned subsidiary of Boeing, uh, is alleged to have provided a range of services that allowed planes owned by shell companies operating on behalf of the CIA to fly suspected terrorists to, quote, black sites. Jeppesen is alleged to have provided flight planning services, secured permits for travel, arranged fuel provision, and filed flight plans for the clients in the knowledge that the planes are being used for extraordinary rendition. Jeppesen's embarrassing U-turn vindicates our fight to expose corporate collusion and torture, said Clive Stafford Smith, director of the legal charity Reprieve, which has led the campaign on behalf of Muhammad. Binyam Mohammed, perhaps many others, are one step nearer to making the directors of companies stop and think before they commit criminal acts for profit. According to an affidavit signed by a former employee, Jeppesen's managing director told his staff that we do all the extraordinary rendition flights. Uh, Sean Belcher, a former technical writer for the company, said Overby claimed that the CIA spared no expense when it came to paying for Jeppesen's services. Hmm. Jeppesen contends that there is no basis to the claims against it. But after Muhammad's London lawyers presented a large volume of evidence running to 419 pages, which they claim proves the company's involvement in the rendition process, the British arm of the firm withdrew its attempt to have the case struck out. In a letter to Muhammad's lawyers, Jefferson's representatives state, Our client has undertaken an extensive review of information in order to address and rebut your client's evidence. During the course of this exercise, it has become apparent that due to the scope and diffuse nature of the evidence, there is a real risk that the hearing of our client's application will descend into a mini-trial. In these circumstances, we consider that the most appropriate and proportionate course is for our client to withdraw its application and for the claim to proceed to trial in a normal way. So they're waving a white flag, basically. Mm-hmm. A separate case is being pursued against Jefferson in the U.S. by the American Civil Liberties Union and Reprieve. The U.S. government is seeking to have the case against Jefferson dismissed. Good. Our government's on the side of covering up this torture. Great. Uh, well, saying, if they are involved in it, 
I was saying it would breach national will. security. Yeah. Which it means is. a lot of heads might roll, is what that means. Yeah. But Jeppesen UK's decision to drop its opposition to fighting the case in a British court means a wealth of confidential information related to the alleged rendition process will become public. Mm-hmm. Just wrapping up here. We want to know whether Jeppesen UK participated in Binyam's rendition, which led to his torture. It is the right they should now disclose all the relevant evidence so we can get to the truth. Mohammed, an Ethiopian who lived in Britain, was arrested in 2002 in Pakistan and handed to the U.S. He alleges that before his transfer to Guantanamo Bay, he was held in prisons in Pakistan, Morocco, and Afghanistan beyond the reach of law. While in Morocco, he alleges that interrogators tortured him by using blades to cut him at various parts of his body. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reprise rendition investigators said the CIA could not have acted alone, and the case would raise questions over which governments were complicit in extraordinary rendition. Wow. And I just read something the other day about a listing of people who were later proven innocent. The few that were able to have an opportunity that experienced rendition to show that they got the wrong man. You know, that may be a good reason why we have laws. Even though yeah. it looks like it's it's uh, unfortunate and a drag when we're trying to go after the bad guys. And, you know, it's hard going after bad guys. They have no laws themselves. So mm-hmm. I'm sympathetic to the fact that we need to have everything at our disposal. But we have laws, so innocent people don't. I know it's it's so it. it's so basic to it's so basic to the understanding of why what makes America good. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are just willing to kind of throw that out. Right. It's, I don't I don't get it. Right. You know they're like, well, we have to make exceptions to the law because they're bad. We've lived in a like, fantasy world. Well, then it, you're bad if you do that. Except if you our, make exceptions right. to the law, you're bad. You're bad. That's right. You are now doing the very things you accuse those bad guys of doing. Yeah. And, and and also, our Constitution says that our rights, those rights that we hold dear, are given by God. Mm-hmm. They're not given by our government. Yep. So it's not just Americans that have those rights. According to that document, other people have those same fundamental rights, too. One would think. One would think. Well, we're down to about a minute and a half. Is there anything you want to share quickly? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Bankrupt Jefferson County did not buy REIT today. Summons National Guard to maintain order. Uh, this comes from my new favorite website. Okay. Zero Hedge. Just under a minute. Oddly enough, Jefferson County, which got into a dash of trouble buying some interest rate swap or another without reading the perspective. You don't have to read FS. Uh, okay. Here's the here's the story. Uh, brilliantly, the county first cut the sheriff's budget and only subsequently did it realize that it would need to main, maintain uh, order. Uh, uh what it did basically is it yeah that's what it did it cut the it got rid of the sheriffs all the sheriffs cut the sheriffs and then decide that it was not going to buy all of these uh these real estate holdings and so they had to call in the national guard uh so there's national guard supposedly driving around Jefferson County Alabama sort of like martial law well, a little bit closer to sort of than sort okay. of it like is basically but- They've cried uncle, the, the whole county around Birmingham, yes. where they just don't have the money to pay anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're basically assuming, state, it's up to you to fix this. Yes. And I tell you, someone Rich who needs host. to fix us right now is Merv. Merv. Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. 
Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got like 10 seconds. All right, let's get out of here. I'm sorry. Sorry we didn't have more time for that story. No, no, I mean, it's... We need to do like a four-hour news show every day just to cover it all. Just make everybody sit still and listen to us. Yes. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's wonderful to be with you. Uh, Until next week with another great guest, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake.